Good afternoon and welcome to the Hard Luck Show. Yeah! I'm your certified, qualified West Side host, Steve Lucky Luciano. Yeah! That's right, ladies and gentlemen. You have tuned in to the greatest show on earth. Yeah! We're coming at you from the Virus Bunker in Southern California. Yeah! Sitting across from me, my partner and co-host... Is Chumahan Bowen, American Indian, elegant barbarian, Southern Californian, coming to be savage. Yeah. Once again. Once and for all. Look out. Look out. Look out. Look out. Look out. Look out. Coming. Yeah. What? Yeah. Come on. What? Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Over here. War pass. Yeah. What? War pass. Man. War pass. Savage up here. Yeah. And. On sound, sitting across from, hey, I'm not done introducing you, (laughs) sitting across from the old blue eyes, Sean Lewis, certified audio professional engineer for the hard luck, bumper clot, little Rasta Arana, bumper clot, uh, yeah, uh, Give me That's some real. of that chocolate cake. That's how you're feeling today, Sean? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, he like saw that. those blunts. Yeah. Right. Oh, Rasta. Rasta Farai. Yeah. Iri, Iri, man. Iri, man. And uh, our, our reoccurring guest. Whoa. He's like family. Whoa. A handsome guy handsome. with a shattered heel and a and big, a dick. big open heart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mr. Brian. Come on. Stevens. That's right. Welcome That's back right. to the show, Brian Stevens. He's dancing. It's my pleasure. Look at that. He's doing a centipede on the floor yeah. right now. <laughs> oh, my God. Is that what that's it called? Doesn't look a day over sixty-four. It looks so sixty-four years young. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> look at his face. Down. He that doesn't look a day over. Hey, he doesn't look a day over forty-five. There you go. Love that guy, man. Man, if looks could kill, Steve, he would hey, be doing life. That's it. I was. Listen, we today have a very, very, very special guest that's driven out to see us. The gentleman, man, that's inspired hundreds, if not thousands, inspired me. Um, just a special, special guest today who's been on quite a journey, and he's here today to share that journey with us. Guys, let's welcome Jack to the show. Welcome, Jack. Jack. Welcome, Jack. Welcome, Jack. Thank you. Thank you. What and is this? Hey, you might have one of the coldest intro songs. Man, Jopatan. It's your song right here, huh? I like the song. Yeah. I mean, you know. How can you not like this song? The whole thing about Gentleman Jack is that he was pure class when he stepped into the Uh, bunker. Right? Absolutely, bro. Guy's dressed to the T's. He's got a beautiful (laughs) hat. He's laid back. He's, uh, you can tell right away. You can feel his vibe as soon as you walked in the door. 
Um, Gentleman Jack. Gentleman Jack. Smooth. Classy. Original. Right. Right. Jack, uh, thank you for coming in, man. Thank you for coming to the show. Thank you for having me here. I'm honored and uh, grateful. I'll tell you something interesting, Jack, is, is as we were preparing for this show and as me and you had talked over the phone and locked down our date for you to come on, I had begun to start having some conversations about you with a couple people that I really uh, love, respect, um, that have been through through the system and um, at times in their life. And, and your name came up. And I got to tell you, man, out of like the four or five people yeah. that I talk about, yeah. everything that came out of their mouth, they couldn't speak more highly of of this gentleman and, and his and, work that he's done and, and just the, the type of, of, of... What is it that makes them speak so highly of Je- Gentleman Jack? Well, we're going to get into that. But uh, Jack's here, um, took a drive in today. Yeah. And like I said, you know, Jack, he's going to let us know. Okay. Jack's had quite, quite a journey, you know. And, um, and yeah, we're just here to find out what's going on you know what bring what brought Jack well, to what the do you place th- that he stands at right now? Right. Where do you think we should start? What do you think is a good jumping off point for Jack? What do you think, Jack? Jack, what do you think, Jack? Well, I, I mean, it's it's hard to say. Uh, everybody wants to know something different about somebody, <sighs> and it's I guess the best place to start is asking those questions that are interesting to you. Mm-hmm. And if I can answer them, then that's the place we're going to go from. This I like is, it. You know what, Jack? Um, uh, well, let's just let's, let's get right just, to no, it. Let's get right to it. You know, Jack. Um, what, let me just ask you right now, Jack. What are you currently doing right now? Where are you at right now? What's the four one one on you today? Um, actually, right now I'm pretty happy. Uh, I uh, I'm actually staying with my mother, mm-hmm. which I don't mind. A lot of people say you're growing management. I'm staying with my mother because she's old. She needs the assistance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm I spent. 40 years in a cell wishing I could sit across the table with my mother and and eat dinner and talk about nothing but the day and I'm doing that now what was the the reason what was the reason that they that you had to spend 40 years in a cell when I was a young man uh, I had just been released from youth authority Uh, all my life I'd been in jail right Uh, but when I was released from youth authority within uh, 90 days I had picked up a hot one and sentenced and six months later i was in san quentin what for our guests who sometimes may not know what they the phrase know. hot one is can you specify or clarify uh, that for us I apologize yes that's all right hot no. one is a term uh uh relating to the case of uh murder 187 right okay right so how long were you in youth authority before you got out i did two years in the youth authority before then i was in a uh, juvenile camp before then i was in family treatments so i was uh mentioning to lucky uh since about the age of 12 i've been in jail what wow. what area were you living in <laughs> whatever area the institution was in <laughs> <laughs> but I, I know what you're saying i'll just take yeah, a cheap I shot <laughs> oh blue eyes got uh, a little i told scared. you was, i told you it was funny <laughs> I, I live in uh, Norwalk. In fact, I still live there today. I still walk the same streets that I walked when I was a young boy. Wow. Did you think you were ever going to get back home and be able to walk those streets? Oh, absolutely not. No, right. I, I absolutely believe that I was going to die in prison. How that was going to happen, you know, who knows. But I was already reserved to that fact, and 
So let it come. So yes. so what decade or when exactly? Yeah, well, let's put like a year and an age on just to start with of this um, this case that you you picked up. So uh, the case that sent me to prison, uh, it was an original case. I was sentenced to 15 to life. It was in 1978. Mm-hmm. Uh, but And I was eligible for parole. I was actually eligible for parole within 10 years. Uh, but, you know, I was not one of those people that conformed to rules and regulations. So I, mm-hmm. I drove that 10-year sentence up into 40 years. Man. Jesus Christ. It's easy to do. Why, why is that, Brian? Well, I relate to what Jack's saying because uh, uh, I, as a young man, I went to prison. That I was in prison. I got a twenty-five to life. I got the other sentence that you didn't get, but I get thirty-five years because I didn't conform. And if you don't follow the rules in prison, you can't yeah. follow the rules of life. Or there's too many eyes on you of your own people looking to hurt you if you step out of line. So you just you do what you have to do. You think like they think, even though you don't believe what they think. A lot of times, you still have to conform to it, and you have to. Your actions have to dictate what they think. You're conforming to a different set of bylaws. Absolutely, and you know it's 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 a sick place. And I understand how you do forty years. I get it. Yeah, you live in you live in a, in an environment where you have to adapt to that environment. I mean, uh, it's it's an environment of insanity, but it's only the people that are saying that are crazy there. Now, let me ask you: the, Wait, how old are you at this time in seventy eight? Eighteen years old. Eighteen years old, man. I was 18. I just got out of YA. I was out a few months, and uh, I picked up the case. So uh, I don't want to sidetrack the conversation because I know we got a lot to talk about here. But uh, So this started as a young age. You, you were getting in a lot of trouble. Since the age of 12, I had been going to jail. I, I was uh, I mentioning to Lucky that I had been on some type of custody since about 12 years old. I started going to juvenile halls for assaults or why, drunk and why was drinking. Why I was young. I was trying to meet the standards of the environment in which I was living. Mm-hmm. And uh, in those days, I was um, subject to the peer pressures of my uh, surroundings. And I was living in the neighborhood, and I was running around with the people in those neighborhoods. And we didn't have uh, uh, any restraints on us so we did what we wanted to do when we wanted to do it right unfortunately what we wanted to do was all illegal right <laughs> right what was norwalk like uh, at that time uh it was a lot of it was just coming off from being dirt roads right you know uh there was uh, most of it was cow pastures and strawberry fields right and those of us that were running around in the city were you know we were poor uh, I, we didn't know we were poor because we were too young to understand what poor and right, and right. rich was. Right, right. you right. just knew what you knew. We just knew what we knew. And, you know, for us, stealing strawberries to bring them home and eat them wasn't something that, oh, okay, we had to do that so we could have something to eat. To us, it was, oh, the fact that we were able to steal strawberries. Right. Or, you know, or right. I, I tell people a lot of times I rustled cattle. Is you that know? true? Yeah, I used to steal cows. No oh, shit. shit. Wow. How do you wow. steal a cow? Carefully. Yeah, I used to steal cows, and then we'd pay uh, this little uh, butcher shop that m- rented out meat lockers. Right. Holy and wow, you know, so we had meat. No, but so how do you steal a cow? Well, you get the smaller cows, 
Uh, <laughs> right. And you just back a truck up, walk them up into the ramp, and you take them. We, at that time, like I said, it was a lot of uh, fields. Right. But at that time, there was also a lot of bars. And these bars had behind them corrals, raising chickens and pigs and goats. So we used to pay this bar that was called the Jamaica, uh, right there on Norwalk Boulevard. And they would corral the cow for us. And for a year, we'd fatten this cow up. Mm. No shit. Yeah, so from a baby cow, over a year, you fatten him up. And then when he gets fat enough, you shoot him and butcher him. Right. I mean, just as they do in the feedlots. Same way. So uh, that's an exclusive on the Hard Luck Show in case you want to know how to cattle wrestle and how to fatten <laughs> well, I would, like, I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. In I fact, know, you should I, absolutely not do that. But, I mean, that's something I did. Right. Okay. Uh, and so did they brand these, these cattle? I mean, No. No, they weren't brand. But you couldn't take the milk cows. You had to catch the cows when they were young before they branded them up. Ah, and they're still out in the I fields. see. I got it. All right, cool. So uh, around that time in Norwalk, this is you know pre seventy eight. Yes. Is there is this a gang active? Is this a- uh, you know what I, I I'm kind of rough on the term gang, right? Because when you think about it, who defines what is a gang? Me, I was growing up in a neighborhood. These were the guys that I had grew up with. This was my community. Right. Somebody else defined us as a gang. Right. You know what I mean? But these boys, I, I heard uh, Lucky mention to somebody earlier, how long have you known me? Well, I've known you 20 years, 30 years. Well, these are the guys that I grew up with. We, right. we had knees torn on our jeans. You know what I mean? We threw dirt mm. clods at each other. Right. So this was my community. Right. And when we grew from... Uh, Seven years old to 10 years old to 12 to 15, we were living our lives together. And somewhere in that, in that parameter, somebody says, they're a gang. And they live in this area, and this is the neighborhood that is belonging to that gang. They defined. Right. Someone you else guys defined. Are more like right. brothers. And to this day, that is how uh, a lot of people nowadays those people that are living the lifestyle that I did back then accept the term as gang because it gives them a bonding with those that they're around. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had turned the term gang for them from a negative connotation into something that's binding right. uh, with them. It's like anything else. Uh, what was it? Barack Obama had uh, uh, Obamacare. Mm-hmm. Initially, it was negative. Right. And then mm-hmm. they used it as a positive term. Uh, Chicano power. Mm-hmm. Right. Originally, it was a... a negative connotation but then they accepted it and you were buying patches and putting it on your jackets in the 70s you know what i mean right so you were saying redefining the labels that they put on you and taking ownership of it and being having some pride in it right 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 so uh, when someone asked me about gang uh, uh i don't see myself as a gang in a gang i see myself as part of a community that has been labeled by some outside force as a gang simply because for them it was more beneficial. Right. Mm-hmm. So when you spent 40 years in the institution and came back to Norwalk, had it changed? Absolutely has changed. I mean, I, I walk. And so you understand, I walk through my neighborhood every week. Right. I go, I get on my bike in my short pants and I ride my bike into it. I walk around in it. I meet the people. When I see someone there, I'll drive up to them and I'll, you know, on my bike and I'll tell them, Who, what's your name? Who are you? And most of the time it's somebody's child. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I know your grandfather. I know your father. Uh, but, yeah, it has absolutely changed. Uh, What's the biggest change? Wow. 
I mean, you can't for, steal well, cows anymore. No, a- absolutely. There's no nothing like that in Norwalk no more. There's no cow fields. There's no strawberry patches. Nothing but homes. Right. Um, but there are things about it that are uh, memorable. Right. The, the the scene is different, but you could I could stare at a at a location in my neighborhood now and capture a memory. Yeah. And that makes it what it was. And then when my mind gets back to reality, I understand that I'm somewhere else now. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. So when you look at what's been built up over what wasn't there when you were there, can you still see behind that? You see behind it. You can. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the greatest things about being a human being is the ability to recall what you've known in the past. I mean, it's, it's like a Native American religion. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's not written. It's spoken and it's handed down mm-hmm. through the generations of what was and it manifests into something else and it de- evolves and it, it develops into something else. So each person has a different understanding of what that belief is. Right. Well, that's me. I walk through my neighborhood and I capture moments that I had lived decades ago. But I enjoy that because I was in the windowless concrete cell. And that's all I had to look at, you know, until those images faded. Do you think do you think that your ability to visualize has actually grown or is stronger because that's all you had for so long? Uh, I I don't know if it's grown or or I don't know if it's grown. In fact, in fact, it has uh, uh, it diminished in there because uh, you lose the ability to recall. And soon you develop your own scenarios. And at some point, they are just lies you made up in order to continue on with something that once was. Interesting. Uh, May I ask you something? Um, So, Jack, you're a young kid. You're getting getting in and out of trouble. Um, You're 18. As you're growing up, do you have siblings? Was mom and dad in the house? What, What was the family scenario kind of like so i had a great family life uh a lot of people um will turn to things that were negative in their life and that say impacted their life Mm. uh to uh, result in the direction or path they taken but i had a wonderful life i'm like i said we weren't rich uh but you didn't know it didn't know it but my father was in the military 20 years Which, which branch the navy Okay. My uncles were in uh, were Air Force, Army. Air, my whole family, all the males were military. Mm. Uh, my father had purchased us the home, which back then was only a fourteen thousand dollars. But you know what I mean? crazy, bro, <laughs> yeah. it's crazy. These and days. it had a swimming pool. That's just- <laughs> <laughs> but but you know it's it's uh, and my mother she worked. My grandparents lived with us. Um, you know, it was exactly the type of life somebody wanted to live. Uh, I just liked living the life I lived. And Which was unfortunately, what? that was not inside the house. That was outside the house. Right. And because of that, it meant that I had no um, uh, authority over me telling me how to or how not to act. Instead, I lived uh, based on what was being taken, what was being accepted, and what was taking place on the streets at that time. Right. 
so let's let's uh, so in your case that they brought, did you did you go to trial or did you take a deal? No, I went to trial. Um, was it a crazy trial? It was within six months. I was arrested and in prison. Uh, to me, it was fascinating. That was my first time in the county jail. I right. just turned eighteen years old. Uh, I went to the county jail, and uh, you know, it was it was it was great. I mean, what was so great about the county jail? I was in the environment that I had been living in. You know what I mean? Right. I was in my environment. Uh, it was like I wasn't placed in something foreign to me, other than that I had to sleep in a cell. Right. You know. Uh, so when I say that it, it, it wasn't foreign to me is because the people that were in there were the people that I had been growing up with all my life. Right. The lifestyle that was taking place in there was the lifestyle I had been living out here in the streets. Right. You know, the difference was the ages. Mm. Okay. Now I was around people that were 50, 60, 40, 30. You Did know? you feel like you were entering a man's world at that point? Because no. you were 18. I felt I was entering into an environment where I would be quiet a lot and listen more. Right. And I did, you know, and I seen a lot of things and, and I learned a lot of things. And uh, a few months later, I was in prison. And in the case, um, what were the facts of the case that they brought against you? Uh, they said that uh, I, I had a homie. And uh, what well, homie is a person that I was growing up with all right. my life. And uh, he was telling me that somebody else was saying he was an informant. And uh, as a result of that, one night we were all getting together and I found this individual and I got my friend uh, together and I told him, look, you're saying this guy's an informant. Take care of it right now. Uh, so they fought. During that period of time, something happened and the guy that was not well accepted was stabbed and killed. Got it. I was convicted for that, and in fact, I was responsible for that. Okay. Right. So I mean, this, uh, and so you understand the guy that got killed. His name was uh, Julian Insignia. I'll never forget his name, and I'll never. Uh, there's not a day that I don't think about this man. Mm. He was a good man. Mm. Uh, he, he was a. F he was somebody that I liked at that moment, uh, but being a good man and being somebody you like. It's not relevant right. to your existence in that world. Right. You That's know? not going to save you. That's not going to save you. There are you. certain codes of conduct. There are certain codes. Of, so this guy was involved in a fist fight with my friend from my neighborhood. Mm. Therefore, he got my uh, uh, support. And as a result, Julian and Senior was uh, stabbed and killed. Now, after some time reflect. Oh, and oh. the guy, my friend, yeah. told on me. Wow. Oh, no. And wait, wait, wait a second. What? Because, because so, let me, if I can understand this and say it, say it in a certain way. You were taking care, some business was taken care of because somebody was an informant. You supported somebody in that and somebody got hurt. And you could the, say that, th you wouldn't, there's no, you could say everything. All I, right, I don't so have the guy that got stabbed and he passes away and then the guy that you were supporting became an informant against you. Yes. What lesson do you draw from that? Uh, <laughs> I draw no lesson from that. I, I just suffered the results of it. Uh, the lessons you learn are not the lessons of the immediate actions that take place. Lessons are learned as a result of living life. And did that guy testify in court against you? Yes. And he looked you in your face and yes. said, yeah, that's him and he did it? Yes. 
see, this is Steve. I always trip on this. You shouldn't, you, you shouldn't be surprised. Yeah, surprised uh, yeah. Look, at, there are two things when you're living in a lifestyle uh, relating to uh, crooks and criminals. Yeah. Okay? One will tell, one won't. Mm-hmm. Right. But they go hand in hand. It's like mm-hmm. yin and yang. Criminals can't exist without informants. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like cops and criminals. If there was no criminals, there'd be no cops. Right. You know? it, it's the same thing. They, they, co- they coexist. Well, okay, but, but, but that's not what I'm surprised at. It's not that they exist. What I'm surprised at is that you, when any person decides to become part of an organization or team, and part of the code is we're not going to do that, and because of that, we can achieve, we can do certain things because no one's going to talk. But then story after story after story you hear about these teams is just what you said. There's going to be an informant. There will so always then, be an informant. So then always. the idea of how can they sell loyalty knowing that that's in there? Well, it's the belief uh, or the hope of loyalty. But it's, it's not a, a reality. You know what I mean? Uh, it's right. not a reality. No matter what you do, there's always going to be somebody. And, and I'm going to say this too, and a lot of people are going to disagree with it. But you know what? <laughs> Uh, I don't hold any animosities towards somebody that ultimately informs. I used to. I used yeah. to say, man, they're dirty individuals. And right. They're this Rats. and they're that. And yeah, Snitch. Snitches, all that stuff. Right. But you know what? I, I lived in a cell. And, and I lived in a windowless concrete box God. for four, almost 40 years. God damn. You know what I mean? How easy is it to flip over? Right. How easy is it? To reach that point in your life where you can no longer accept what is being heaped upon you. Right. You know, and, how, and who are we then to judge a man who has reached his limit, who has reached the pinnacle of what he could take, and he decides something else? I mean, that's, I understand exactly what you were saying. Oh, yeah. Blue Eyes, you were going to ask something? I was going to say, just, uh, it's such a great irony in that, in that story. I mean, here it is that this guy wants to fight another gentleman because he's a snitch. And then something happens that's way out of his control, I guess. And, and you know, someone's killed. And, and then he turns around and snitches on you. I mean, the code that he's trying to live by in order to have the fight in the first place is broken. So, well, I, I, here's the thing. You're thinking of him trying to live by the code. That's not the case. Right. The case is your belief of what the code is and your, re- your reflection of your belief on that person. You need to live by this code because I live by this code. Right. I believe in this code. Therefore, you believe in this code. Right. But the fact of the matter is he's not obligated to believe in what you believe in. And he's not obligated to live the same way you believe you should right, live. Right, but if he didn't believe in it in the first place, then why is he trying to fight? No, 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 no. You understand what Gentleman Jack is saying? No, I don't. Gentleman Jack is saying just because he believed in the code, he's assuming that just because this other guy's running in the same circles, he does too. But that's a projection from Gentleman Jack. Yeah, he's Jack. not even assuming. He's projecting that you're going to, and yeah. you do. Right. You're, you're, and, actually, you're actually hoping he's going to. Right. right. And, and you know what? Gentleman Jack, you just gave me the title for the show, The Hope of Loyalty. Good How good is that? Right? So, okay, so he testifies against you, right? Did you take the stand in your own defense? Yes. And how did that go? Did they cross-examine you? No, I lied. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I tried to true. give him some story that was full of holes. I mean, it's, what was the story? It was Swiss cheese, man. It was, <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't care. Like I told you, to me, it was all just a big cakewalk. You know what I mean? Right. I wanted, I wanted to get into the position where I was able to say the terms. You know what? I'm going to take twelve in the box right. because that's what gangsters uh, did. Right. 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 That's right. earning right. your stripes. Right. You know what I mean? I'm earning taking your it to stripes. the box. Yeah. So Ball. when they came to me and they offered me a deal, right. I told him, man, I'm going to take 12 in the box. Tough guy. <laughs> right. Tough right. guy. Because that was a tough guy. Right. right. You know what I mean? Take your deal and shove it. Yeah. And it re- ended up, I, you know, I got sentenced to 15 years to life. Okay. So you get sentenced to 15 years to life. So you're in county. And up to that point, you said it was like a six-month deal. You're there. You're not. You're with the people that you thought you should be. And it's, it was okay, except for you're sleeping in the bed. And then they take you to prison. Uh, tell us about the journey. Just take us all the way up to the front door of that prison. Like, what happened? Um, I, it wasn't nothing. It wasn't, you know, you see, you hear stories about people sitting in the bus, pulling to a prison, and they're afraid. And they're, Yeah. That wasn't the case for me. What was mm-hmm. it? I was sitting in the bus. I was surrounded by people I had known from juvenile halls, from camps, from YAs. You know, it was the same guys that I had been growing up with. Right. You know, we'd go out to our neighborhoods, but then we'd come back into the jails and we were all there together again. Mm. Well, we were on that bus going to prison together. Right. And when we got off that bus, we were all being shipped through the prison system together. And Qu- where did- Question, question, before we go further. The gentleman that turned, was he sentenced and how much time was he sentenced to? No, he wasn't sentenced. Did he, uh, did any kind of um, accident or street justice befall that guy? Uh, I to think your knowledge? I think so. I'm not sure. <laughs> All right. Can, I, think can I, I say something about this? Yeah. I have, I have very similar. We're, our stories are very similar. Because uh, I, I was fighting a hot one, as you say, and I had two co-defendants. And when they started talking life sentences, they couldn't wait to testify. I mean, it was that quick. Right. I had to sit in a courtroom watching my best friends, one of them I grew up with. One of them lie, sit there and lie to save his own ass, and, and just and never did a day in jail. Right. So, the and, other and the, I understand the the camaraderie that fake camaraderie is call it as you know all your homeboys and, and, and you know that, man people when they start talking life sentences, it's a different ballgame. It's a whole different game. Yeah, and, and one of the guys that 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 turned and is, is partly really responsible for what happened went on to have a successful diamond business, thank, right? Oh, thank you. Yeah, he's very successful. He's extremely rich, and he hasn't done a fucking thing for me the whole time. And I used to carry a lot of. I really did. I, I did. You 30 still do. I can hear your voice. Doesn't sound like you got no rest. Doesn't sound like you got no rest. Well, I don't. I, I don't to, love the guy. Let me say this: if he was in this room right now, I, I wouldn't harbor any. I wouldn't do anything to him. Of course, I just not. wouldn't. I mean, it's not. It's, I mean, I got my life back, I, and I took a life, and I have to. I have to live with that every day. Right. And but I, I I'm not. I, I don't wish him any harm. I mean, he's doing well, and so be it. I mean, he 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 did what he thought he had to do. He he stayed out of jail. That's what he did. Right. You know, and he, okay. So um, all right. So uh, all right. So so okay. So you're on the bus camaraderie, but what institution did they take you to first? Was it a transfer place or was it? At that time, everybody in the Los Angeles, San Bernardino County areas all went to Chino. Okay. We were all processed through Chino prison. All right. And what was the processing like? Uh, you know, the guys that were processing you through were the same guys you were growing up with in jail. Right. Cops, cops at those days did not run the prisons. They just right. held the guns. Mm-hmm. Everybody on the floor was doing time. 
Wow. So when I got processed through, two of my homies were working in R&R. &R. Right. You know, they gave me all my new clothes, and they gave me all the extra tobacco I needed. They put me in the cell that I wanted to go to. You know, right. That's the way jail used to be. You know right. I mean? And two days later, there was a riot. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that was the first time I had been in a riot. And which was so what was that like? What was that like for you at well, that first riot? It was interesting to watch it. Uh, it was between, between the blacks and the whites. Right. Mexicans so you, weren't involved. Right. So you guys were Switzerland. You guys were neutral. Well, we were in a chow hall. And I remember uh, one of the older homies came and says, when they call chow back, he says, just stand up and step back towards the wall. Right. And I said, all right. <laughs> and when they did that, people pulled knives and started stabbing each other you know what i mean and so you guys just uh, whoever stepped aside and just watched and what was that like watching that interesting because i mean as it was a giant melee where people were trying to kill each other you right know? and 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 you've seen people running and people going towards them and you know you've seen confrontation it was exactly what you thought it was going to be all the times you've recalled it into existence in your mind you interesting know? and did you um okay and then how long are you in chino and then they transfer you out i was there maybe 60 days before they sent me to san quentin all right so the, and you knew you were going to san quentin uh not in, initially not until about 45 days later uh they came to my cell and they told me you're going to san quentin Okay, and, and, and still, you're surrounded by guys you knew. Absolutely. And then you get on, and did they call it the Grey Goose back then, the yeah. bus? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was the Grey yeah. Goose. Yeah. They still call it that. Right. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's green. <laughs> <laughs> I've never understood that term. It was always, it was always black and white or green. <laughs> and so you get on, on the bus, now you're heading to San Quentin. And at that time, was San Quentin famous as, as, as an institution to you? San Quentin was notorious. Right. You know, it, there, you, at that time, you have to remember, this is in 1978. In 1978, there were 12 institutions in California. Now there's 37. Right. Uh, but at that time, you had Folsom for older people, 35 and up. Right. You had San Quentin for people that were older but also younger because they were assholes. And then you had Soledad, who was filled with young people, and DVI was filled with young people. Right. Uh, unfortunately, the prisons were getting kind of full, and they sent me to San Quentin. And so I ended up there. They wanted to lock me up when I first pulled in. They said they pulled me aside, and they told me, look, you're a young kid. You know, if you step out on this yard, you're going to have problems. Mm. Right. And, you know, of course, I was already living a thug life, so I told them, I the hell are you talking about put me on the yard yeah you know right. i mean I, I didn't come here for your protection right so i'll, I'll live it and, and 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 what happened they locked me up for 60 days <laughs> <laughs> jack san quentin is uh you know being 18 and pulling up a san quentin no that was an experience that was an, tell, i mean tell that what was that like so i mean Hell, they made movies of San Quentin. Right. Yeah, exactly. Guys made, mu guys made music careers off of doing a concert right. at San Quentin. And, and you have to remember, back in those days, um, there was no guards um, controlling everything. Uh, prisoners ran everything in the prison system. Uh, they, they put you in the cells they wanted to put you in. They put you in the jobs they wanted to put you in. You walked the yards at the times they wanted you to walk the yard. Everything was done by the prison population. Right. So uh, when I pulled up in there, my crime partner, he was already there. 
he was already on the main line in San Quentin. He had left Chino about two weeks before me. So, uh, of course, I knew he was there, and I was going to look for him. Right. But I, uh, pulling in was just a process. But there was a moment to this day that I remember about San Quentin. Mm. I was 18 years old. Uh, I had been locked up for 60 days in, in, uh, on CTQ, confinement to quarters. That's what they called it. While they determined whether I was going to be able to be placed out in the general population because of my age. And they finally brought me down. They classified me and they asked me, you want to go out? And I said, yes. They said, all right, we're going to let you go out. You have any problems? Let us know and we'll lock you back up. You know what I mean? Now, death row is right next to North Block. North Block uh, is uh, the only six-tier block in San Quentin in all the state of California because the sixth tier is cemented off from the remaining lower five tiers because on the sixth tier, it's death row. And you can only enter death row by entering in to North Block uh, and going into the uh, elevator that takes you up. But coming out of that block is the same thing. So when I came down, when they were going to release me to the cell, this is the process. They, my door is opened up. A guard comes. and No, a, a prisoner comes, spikes my door open. They call it a spike because they were long keys. Right. And, and they, you know, you stick them in this damn door and turn it, and it sounds just like you imagine prison doors are going to sound. Right. And he spikes my door open, and he tells me they want you downstairs. So I go downstairs, and they hand me a fish kit. And they put it on. They always, open your hands. They hand me a, a blanket, a pillowcase full of some toiletries, and, and a cup. Why is it called a fish kit? Oh, because you're the new fish. I'm the new fish. Got it. You know what I mean? Got it. And uh, they tell me, you're going to go live in South Block. Uh, here's your cell number and they hand me a piece of paper and they open these doors and they push me out and the doors close behind me and I'm standing on the yard 18 years old with pimples all over my face (laughs) a fish kid in my hand and the yard has about 2,000 people lining up to go to chow out there serious dudes serious experience and and I'm looking and walking towards me is this old guy, I later learned, came to know him as Tony from uh, Texas. He has a dead eye, and he's limping, and he's coming right towards me, and I'm looking at him, and, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, here we go. Right. You know? Game on. But the fact of the matter is Tony just couldn't see, so he's walking straight to I, I learned that later. <laughs> but when I did hit the yard, I walked about maybe uh, 100 yards, and I hit the main yard. And the first thing I seen, man, was a group of people I had been going to jail with all my life. They right. were standing right there. They looked at me, and they said, hey, Indio, because that's what they used to call me. Why did they call you Indio? Because when I was younger, I used to carry a hatchet on the streets. Fuck, I love weapon. that. <laughs> and they You're said, idol. They yeah. Said, hey, Indio, <laughs> we, we, might be we heard you were here, man. How are you doing? Give us that stuff. And they took the stuff out my hands. And they asked me where I was going to be selled. I told them. And they said, we'll deal with that later. Come on. And they took me into East Block. And we went in there and we drank Pruno and got drunk. Yeah. <laughs> and then they let me go because Count had been screwed up because I wasn't in my cell. Uh-huh. And I was walking the upper yard. Nobody was there. And I was drunk with right. my fish kit. And they told me, what the hell are you doing out here? <laughs> that was my, my first uh, experience at San Quentin, you know? Wow. And and so you spend some time there and then 
I think I gathered from the show notes at some point you're they put you in in solitary or something, right? Yeah. Well, I I mean I spent time in San Quentin, but during that period of time uh, I was also shipped to uh, Folsom. I was shipped to Soledad. You know, I I, I was what they used to call back then those uh, bus therapy. Uh, yeah. You know, so I was making the rounds. Why would they do that? Um, it disrupts. Your program. You can't uh, set roots down. Right? right. You're shipped. You're shipped. And that means you don't get your mail because your mail is shipped to the institution you're leaving. Right. Your property is shipped in, in boxes to the institution you're going to. But when you get there, it takes about 30 days to get it. By then, you're shipped again. Right. You know, so everything you have is always following you. And you have nothing for that period of time that they're going to keep you on the bus moving around. Can't get visits. Can't get phone calls. You can't have your property. You can't write letters. You can't receive letters. You know what I mean? So It's an unwritten punishment. It's an unwritten punishment, right? And right. nobody will, will ever say, oh, yeah, he got it. You know what I mean? Right. How does Folsom stack up against San Quentin? Folsom's totally different. Folsom lifestyle and San Quentin lifestyles were two different lifestyles completely. You have to remember I mentioned Folsom was 35 and older. Right. Okay. San Quentin, although they had a lot of old people there, there were young people mixed in. Right. And so there was movement and things like that. Folsom, though, um, it was an older population. What does that mean? Like uh, what happened? How do I explain? They used to call Folsom the snake pit. <sighs> you know what I mean? Because when you went into Folsom, uh, you knew you were going to be around people uh, that were motivated uh, to get over. And, and their motivation was finding somebody to get over on. Right. You know what I mean? And why would they be motivated there for that? It's just they were older. They're, that was their lifestyle. They were already entrenched into a lifestyle that most people were still learning. Seasoned convicts. Seasoned convicts. So Although I, you had seasoned convicts at San Quentin, the, the population wasn't that, that large. So is it that at Folsom they were seasoned, but they also knew that they probably weren't going anywhere, so to improve their life or whatever, they got to find somebody to get over? Um, I don't know. I don't know if that was the case. It wasn't. I, I don't think that was the case. I did time in Folsom twice. Yeah. I was sent to Folsom two times. How long did you spend there? Uh, the first time I went to San, uh, Folsom, I was shipped out of San Quentin because of a hunger strike. They came, they uh, gaffled me up in the middle of the night, threw me in a, in a van in a cage, and drove me to Folsom at 3 in the morning. Damn. And I woke up the following morning, I was in the hole. And I only stayed there uh, about five months. Okay. And they told me, hey, if you want to go back to San Quentin, we'll send you. So I went back. Right. Can I ask you what year that was, Jack? Yeah, I went to uh, Folsom in... No, uh, during, the, yeah, during the strikes, the poo strikes. Uh, that was in 1982, I believe. Well, 82, 83, right? 83. Before the I, June I was 19. there. That's why I was asking. I was, I was in East Block at the time that was going on. Okay, so... so they, shi the they shipped half of us out. They just started shipping people on buses like crazy. I was in... Uh, at that time, I was in West Block, and they came up into my cell and uh, put me, took me out, took me down to R&R &R and put me in a... One of those vans that don't have no windows. Wind it's like a delivery truck. Sure. Right, but inside yeah. this delivery truck, they had a whole bunch of cages. And they just put me in one of those and we took off. I didn't know where I was going right. until we got to where we was going. What mm -hmm. were the hunger strikes about? 
just the treatment, the, the ridiculous treatment we yeah. were getting. The food we were, you know, was, uh, well, actually, I always liked the food at San Quentin. <laughs> <laughs> and the food at Folsom was also great, too, back in those days. Right. Well, like, what would they serve you? Oh, man. Uh, you know yeah. what? A, you have every, breakfast. It was, it was, the food was good. The food was good. You'd have a whole line of food, and it wasn't a matter of, uh, of whether you got enough or not. You get what you want. The guys served you on the line. You know what I mean? So you tell the guy, give me some extra A's. They give you some extra yeah. A's. Because you know Steve, I mean? Steve and Big Lepke tell stories about food that just sound awful. Well, uh, oh, yeah, there was. But there was also places like, and items like, you know, you could get at Chino, they were famous for having these roscas. Yeah. Like these yeah. huge Big cinnamon ones. rolls. You might go to like, to Hatchapi, and they got this little hard brick tiny cinnamon roll. But you know at Chino, they yeah. got the big cinnamon roll. Right. And they weren't stingy. Some prisons are very, you're barely getting any food. And some prisons, they would, they would give you a lot. Yeah. And like, man, and that, and people for us that were locked down would be like, oh, they feed you good here. Or they feed you good here. Because you know, Big Lep's always up. talking about dragon meat and... Dragon tongue. Dragon, dragon tongue, tongue yep. yeah. <laughs> and then juke balls. Juke balls. Oh, yeah. I can, tell you, I can tell you what that was about, if you, I, if you don't remember. In, 19, in June 19th of 1982, there was a huge riot at San Quentin. Yeah. You remember that? I was there. Yeah. And, that's what, and we were locked down for like 22 months. Okay. That's what the, that's what the food strikes were about. Because <laughs> they wouldn't... Let, every, they, every, time, every time we'd go to child, let's say you lived on the fifth tier, and they would try to run a meal, a hot meal. Someone got stabbed. That's just the way it was. And if you lived below there, you weren't getting a meal. We were in a hot meal. So you the might, riots were about that. They were about they were about being the lockdown was just ridiculously too long. They were taking people's personal property. It was just crazy the way they were treating us. What would they feed you if you were on lockdown? Oh, they fed what they sack they, lunches. They had, they had a tear tender. <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes they'd have a tear tender. Each tear had a, a, a hot card on it, and they would pull somebody out. When I was on, my experience was they'd pull somebody out, and you would walk down, you would serve the cart, you got, and you would serve people as you went down. And right. everybody got served hot food. That's how we would eat. Right. And and that's and that went on for just forever, dude. It's like we were never going to get off lockdown. Yeah. You know? And that's what it was about. Gentlemen, Jack, what was the worst thing you ever ate in prison? Um, There was a Thanksgiving uh, meal they gave us. <laughs> of course. And, and they literally gave us uh, a big old the bone. chicken. <laughs> no, it was a big old chicken leg. Yeah. But when you bit into it, there was maggots in it. Oh, oh God. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. That's that horrible. Is, that is terrible. That was, that was I, so I remember cool. they fed us ribs one time, these big ribs. You remember that? Yeah. And they made a mistake. <laughs> what do you mean? Because their people were, their bones, the bones didn't come the back. The bones are. Oh. People were making knives out of them, so they panicked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you this, this Jack. You're, you're, <laughs> Damn. When do you, when do you start picking up? I mean, <laughs> He's laughing. That's true story, though. <laughs> I know it is. That's just crazy. We, so from what we've heard, and, and you're gonna, you're gonna explain to us, you started picking up, I guess, you know. Um. You start picking up write-ups. You start getting into trouble. Do they start just, obviously, they start sending you to ad seg, but somewhere in this, you start picking up shoe terms? In, uh, in 1983, or about 82, right after the riots, right. they start to uh, re- they start to modify the way the institutions in California are ran. That's what I want. And they, they realize that a large open institutions are something they just cannot handle. After the riots in 1982 at San Quentin kicked off, I mean, you had to be there. I was 
I was right there, and, and there was, they literally walked out on the catwalk with one of those 50 caliber machine guns. They were about to spray the whole damn yard. You know what I mean? And they, they were shooting so much that I was up there choking from the damn smoke in the air. You know what I mean? People were just, and this is not just on the upper yard. It was every block, everywhere, down in the work area, down on the yards, lower, lower yard, anywhere and everywhere. At simultaneously, it went off. You, know you got to remember, guys. The United States on a whole, right, state prisons are basically being run in a similar fashion. Yeah. But what's happening in in California is very different than what's happening outside of California. What would make that the case? Why? California, like most states, is a leader. Mm-hmm. That includes the prison system. The mm-hmm. prison system is looked at in California as one of the most notorious prison systems. Right. And when it was big prisons like San Quentin and Folsom and DVI and Soledad that were open, they had little control over it. But after the riots in 82, they realized they could not have prisons like that no more. Right. So everything started getting built in sections. There's no or- There was no inmates organizing at this type of a level right you know what i'm so, saying yeah, there, was yeah. there was no everybody's loosely the blacks but in california these guys people were organizing prison gangs within prison yeah, so they started to it, things were starting to get political uh in the free world it was in the uh mid-60s Late 60s, right. early 70s. Civil rights. Right. All these things were starting to get political. Right. Well, those people that were getting swept up on the streets were being sent to the prison systems. Got it. So now they were not only politically uh, incarcerated for their beliefs, but now they were being suppressed. Right. And when you suppress somebody, there's only two ways to work it. You either succumb to that suppression or you oppose it. Right. And once you start to oppose it, that means you start to utilize resources and actions that are detrimental to those that want to suppress you. Right. You know I mean? Resistance. Uh, resistance. That was what's starting to happen in the California prison system. Man. Right? So they started building prisons that were sectioned off. They could close off a section and keep another section going. Mass organization, and never again are we going to have a huge never, fucking crowd. Never again. In fact, we started going... Uh, there was... When I went to the whole... When I finally made it to Pelican Bay, Pelican Bay had 12 blocks, uh, and in those blocks, each block had nine pods, or six pods, and inside those pods, each pod had eight cells, and that was it. Right. If that cell came open in one of those pods, it could not affect any other pod in that block, and it could not affect any other block in that institution. You know right. I mean? It was they were, it was closed off and the gunner could sit right up there and shoot everybody all day long and they couldn't do nothing about it because there was nowhere to go. Right. Yeah, correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong. Didn't they turn now they've taken Folsom and turned it into a women's institution? Fol- Folsom, San Quentin, what? Pelican Bay, all these institutions that they built for the purpose for those purposes are changed. San Quentin is now a level two institution. Right. Mm-hmm. And the thing about San Quentin right now though is is COVID impacted right. there are people dying right. at san quentin left that. and right okay? right uh folsom is now uh, level two 
and there were women at Folsom. That's what I heard. And Pelican Bay Security Housing Unit, or the SHU, which was infamous throughout the United States, is now a level two institution with murals on the walls. Are you serious? Yeah. I did not hear that. I didn't know that, Jack. Wow, yeah. that's, a notor- that's a notorious prison right there. So, you, so they start sentencing you to shoot. They give you your first shoot term? In, in 19... Uh, in, 1990, in 1986, I was in Solano Prison, and uh, they locked me up for uh, organizing uh, an assault on uh, northern prisoners. Uh, that night, they came, they took me, put me on a bus, and sent me to San Quentin. Mm. Uh, when I was at San Quentin, I was in the hole, and it was 1986. And uh, at that point in time, they gave me an indeterminate shoe term, which meant that... Uh, uh, they're going to put me in solitary confinement and, until they decided that they would let me out. Now, so that indeterminate shoe term is that? Where did they send you for that? Was that in? At that time, uh, they didn't have all the other prisons right. built yet. So my indeterminate shoe term was at San Quentin. I was sent to the adjustment center. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had me housed. They had me housed with the people that were on death row. Uh, so what is it like to be housed with people that are on death row? What 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 did you learn from It was that? the same people yeah. I knew. <laughs> right. But does it, I mean? is there something different about a guy who knows he's on death row? Does he is there a different um just knowing that it, at some point it might it's probably going to end for you. Does that change no. anything about I, it? I mean, uh, at, at that time you have to understand we were living a di- uh, disciplined life. Right. Uh everything we did was uh, designed to uh, harden us right uh to build our character and to prepare us for uh whatever may be uh put in front of us or placed upon us right so, like a soldier absolutely but as you know jack that's what started the mass debriefings yeah was they would put you give you a determined indeterminate shoe program yeah and they would tell you you're either going to die debrief or parole what's debrief you give up information on whoever it is you run with. Got it. And this is why we're, this is why we're saying you necessarily can't judge a person because everybody's got a point break. I've seen a lot of guys, a lot of guys. I mean, it was uh, what they were using was uh, was a tactic that they actually used in the military against uh, enemy combatants. Right. And they were subjecting you to uh, uh, sensory deprivations. Yeah. Now we're humans. Humans have to have physical contact to exist, uh, verbal contact, uh, emotional, Not Sean. Sean's emotional heart contact. machine. He doesn't need to talk to anybody. <laughs> he, he's an isolator. He's, well, he's he he's works he works with electronics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he's got electro- electrodes coming out of the base of his neck. But you know, you put somebody in a cell. Like I said, uh, the shoe in Pelican Bay, there was no windows. Right. You see nothing of outside. Right. Hell, when we got there. Uh, they wouldn't even allow us to see California TV. They yeah. allowed us to watch only Denver channels. What? Yeah. yeah. Weird. It was so isolated that everything you owned was in a paper bag or a paper cup. Your pin filler was removed from the pin case, and you were issued the pin filler. Right. You know what I mean? Your soap was cut in half. Mm-hmm. It, got, it got so bad at Pelican Bay that people were... If you if you had a celly, yeah, some people didn't. Some people were housed along, housed alike, right. yeah. So, but what they were doing, people were con- conniving ways to get someone they wanted to kill moved into their cell. But they were having murders in, in cells. It happened there. It was, all the time. It was crazy. And they even take the staples 
out of your yeah, paperwork. It was insane. Imagine that. I mean, yeah, somebody left the fucking bones in the ribs in some other prison <laughs> and they made a bunch of fucking weddings. Dude, I don't know if you know this, but you can in California, then a lot of those places, they ban styrofoam. Yeah. Cups because Why? you can because you can melt make a weapon them out of them. Melt them out. If you, you make if you take a comb and a styrofoam cup and melt them together, yeah, hard, you can make a you can kill somebody with it. Yeah. So how, what's the longest run you had in a solitary situation, gentlemen, Jack? What do you mean? Like how long did you spend in solitary at one time? I went I went to solitary confinement. Uh, well, I started going in 1982, but in 1986. They put me in solitary confinement, and they didn't let me out until uh, 2016. Dude. What? We haven't had anybody on the show that's said that. Imagine that. Or experienced that. So how many years is that, Jack? How long? That wasn't the longest. I mean, there was guys in there. I mean, there was a handful of us, Mm -hmm. and I say this. There was a handful of us that had spent, I mean... 40 years in solitary confinement. Some are still there. And, and, and some are still there. All right, hold on a Dude, second. That's, let's, let's go back to Steve's yeah. question. How long, was that 30 years? How long was that? Uh, it was about 20-something years. Right. Yeah, I, I don't even know exactly. I okay. went in, I know the date I went in. Yeah. The, no, no, let me correct that. I know the date I was given indeterminate term. I was already in the hole. Right. But I picked up a stabbing in the hole, so they tacked, they changed my sentence from 15 months to 24 months, and at that point, they never let me out no more. Okay, so you're in the hole, and first of all, how do you, this might be a naive question, but how do you stab somebody in the hole? It's Very quickly. It's not hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's not hard, dude. You can do it. Yeah, and you're right under a gun. So you know when you're going to do something like that. When I stabbed this guy, uh, uh, the gunner was from here to the bathroom door right there, which is probably, what, uh, 10 feet? Yeah. 10, uh, 15 yeah, 15. Feet. Yeah. So he was up on a gun rail, and I was right below him, and, and I started assaulting this guy. Right. And did you have to – you knew what was going to happen – did you and sometimes guys we've had on the show they've said like yeah I had to mentally prepare myself I mean was it like that for you or you just you follow oh, you do what you're gonna do or it's all you always have to prepare yourself right I mean you get butterflies in your stomach mm-hmm. you're you know you you feel I, I don't I have never met anybody that has just walked out there yeah. and just you know and, hey have a good time I'm gonna go yeah. kill this guy yeah. right you know what right. I mean right. you have you. Uh, and, and keep it. in mind, I want to say this: it, what a lot of people to make to make it really real. Yeah, is the, you remember when they took the shotguns out? Yeah, in 1989 they took the which they used to use birdshot. They they don't stop nothing. People continue to yeah. they, some of the stab they don't stop. Right. So but then your adrenaline's running so high. I mean, the, the vice president Dick Cheney shot some guy in the face with birdshot and he survived. So what that tells you what happens when guys right. stabbing somebody? They're not, they're not stopping, dude. Right. But, so but, what guns did so they, they give them? Now they're taking the cotch. The cotch. They actually changed the guns three times. Oh, they have they since then. But yeah. remember, well, there was that. Those times it was the nine millimeter they brought in that well, no. assault weapon. They changed what they did is they took the birdshot, right? Okay, and they, oh, the changed, buck. they changed it into that uh, that rifle that had the shells like the, this. The, the mini, 14. Mini, 14. Mini, 14. mini 14. Mini 14. That's what they use in Vietnam. But when they shoot people in those yards, they're right there. Can you imagine a guy shooting you with the mini 14 from that door? It bounced back in ricochet. It goes through you. Right. So what was happening is going through people and sitting somebody else next, you know, behind them or to the side of them. Whoops. Mm-hmm. So they took those guns out and they brought in what they called the 9mm glazier shell. Right. 
And a glazier shell, when it's shot, spins. Right. Yeah. So when it hits you, it's it spares up, just blows up inside of you. Right. Yeah. So the shell just goes all up in you without exiting your body. Man. That was a dude. tough really bullet is. right there. It's not a big bullet, but it's, it's a but dangerous But the fatality factor. rate was very high. You get shot in the hip. Yeah. It'll blow your All the organs the get hit. Right, exactly. So, okay, so you mm. get this. So now they say it's an indeterminate, and, mm. you know, eventually it seems like you spent over 20-something years. So what is it that people don't understand or won't be able to understand about what it means to do solitary for that long? What happens to a uh, human? There was this guy I met. His name is Rick Ramish. He was the director of the Department of Corrections in Colorado. And you may recall this incident. Uh, the former director uh, was out on the streets, and a guy that was in his uh, yeah. confinements came out, hunted this guy down, and assassinated him. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. You know what I mean? And Rick Ramish took over that man's position. Now, anybody in their right mind would have went bull wild and just locked everything down and could, because he wants to save his life. Right. But he did the opposite. And he began to eliminate solitary confinement throughout the, uh, the Department of Corrections in Denver, Colorado. And the way he did it is he went and locked himself in solitary confinement. Mm. You lost me there. Have you ever seen Blue Baker? The movie yeah, Blue yeah, Baker? Yeah, Robert Redford. With Robert Redford, he sneaks into the prison as a mm. prisoner. And he's seeing everything that's happening in the prison as a prisoner. Undercover. And then finally he steps out and says, I'm the warden of this prison. That's a true story. Right. Right. And this is what's going on. And this is what's going to change. Well, Rick Ramish put himself in a solitary confinement cell. And within 12 hours, he banged on the door and told him, open it up. Let me out. No human being can stand this. Right. Right, so uh, that was uh, unusual, strange, and unusual punishment. But so, what happens? Okay, so I understand that, but you survived it. Well, Rick Ramish I pounded on the door to get the fuck out. You're I, you're doing. You're not able to do that. You have to understand. When I went in, I was still uh, uh, rambunctious. Right. I was still. <laughs> I was still uh, <laughs> defiant. You know what exactly. I mean? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was having fun. I was a 20-year-old still. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and when I went in there, uh, it was uh, a matter of not being beaten uh, by those that wanted to beat me. Right. You know I mean? So that gave you some fuel being defiant. Right. It gave me the hatred and the, and, the, and the fire in my soul to try to... Ex- uh, Outlast. Okay, what so, was being given? All to right, me. so let's let's walk through this. This is this is great because there's a lot of people get very far in life on that hunger that you're talking about, right? So how long does that carry you? And tell us at what point, if it did, maybe it never did. Did it ever change where you were like, "What the fuck am I doing?" Yeah. So when you're doing solitary time. Yeah. And and as it was mentioned, people were killing their cellies. Yeah. So they stopped giving people cellies. Right. They said, okay, right. everybody's going to live in this cell by themselves forever. Right. Okay. At some point in time, uh, the things that you do to keep sane, and I did, I did legal work. I, ha- I became very proficient in, in legal work. In the law. I became 
proficient with art. I, I, I read a lot. I exercised a lot. I meditated. I did everything you can in order to exercise your mind. Right. But one time I was writing, and I wrote two books. Okay. What were they about? Pelican Bay. All right, two books. Two, I didn't know it was two. Wow. All right, two books. So you've done everything you fucking can. I wrote a poem, and I realized when I wrote this poem, I had to change who I was because it's talking about me being defiant. It was talking about me being at battle, being at war with those that had put me in confinement. What I thought was those who put me in confinement. Right. But I put myself in confinement, and I kept myself in confinement. You, re- you understand these things later in life. You know what I mean? Right. But I wrote this poem, and I talked about how I battled and how I, how I was winning. And then, and then I wrote in this poem that I had fought fiercely and was victorious. And then I realized I had consumed my own identity. I had killed myself because the only person I was battling with was me. You know? So I was victorious, but in that battle, I had lost. Had you finished the poem and then you were rereading it and realized this next step for you? Yes. Yeah. How, so, mu- how much of a mind blower was that? Well, I, I, I don't know if, uh, you know if it's a mind blower. It's a matter of trying to survive. When you realize that the reality that you're living uh, is not a, a true reality. Right. Uh, anymore i'm going to say that it's not a true reality anymore what does that mean that means the reality you were living up to that point was absolutely reality that is what you were living and that's what got you to that point right but it's at that point you realize you can't use that reality anymore to get you any further what new reality do you have to develop in order to continue to survive in the environment that you're still in to continue to operate to continue to work, yeah. So I had to change, you know? So, okay, so you're in this cell. You've done everything to keep your mind occupied. You come to a point where you write this poem, and it's about victory. And then all of a sudden you realize you've gone as far as you're probably going to be able to go under that mindset, and something has to change. I learned I had to stop hating. Damn. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you hate, I'm going to tell you right now, when you hate and you're in a box by yourself, the only person that feels that hatred is you. Right. Those guards don't care about you. Right. Nobody outside your cell gives a damn about you. Right. You know what I mean? You're living that world. You're living that existence by yourself. Right. You know what I mean? And if you're killing yourself... With hatred, the only way to stay alive is to learn not how to hate. So that was my new process. I had to try to learn how not to hate. How hard is it to have the kind of uh, the hatred that you were feeling that got you all the way to that point? How hard is it then to start learning how not to? Oh, it's, it's night and day. I mean, it's like you're, you write with your right hand, but you got to learn to do it with your left. Right. You know what I mean? Your existence... Everything you know, everything you've ever built upon, everything you've ever thought about, all your dreams was that reality. Right. And then you have to realize, I can't 
survive with that reality no more. So what, I have what to create steps, something different. What steps did you take? Well, I started reading books on uh, a meditation, mm-hmm. uh, and I try to find um, a books on self-help uh, in order to try to change the way I thought. How do I say this? We are what we think. Totally. So uh, in my lifetime, uh, I have killed thousands and thousands of people. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so if I was placed in the position, it would just be another person I would kill. I would react, react natural to right. that because that was what I was training to do. Right. So I had to stop training to do that. I had to figure out a way to be something different than that. I had to figure out a way of not hurting people. And that, in turn, will relate to me not hurting myself. Because every time I did somebody dirty or did somebody wrong or became, uh, I victimized somebody else, uh, that only meant I was harming myself. You know, it's weird. It's, it's great that you say that. And then, and I think a lot of people intellectually, right, if you were to say that to most people, they would understand what you're saying. Yet, if, I feel like most people don't really act that way. I feel like most people, even though they think they understand that lesson that you said, you hurt somebody else, you're actually hurting yourself. Somehow, what is it that people are missing? Why do people, are they able to say it intellectually and yet act differently? Um, it's like we had spoken earlier. Um, because we have reached that point, it doesn't mean somebody else has reached that point. Right. Okay. Uh, what I believe is not what you believe. Uh, what I think is not what you think. My job, okay, is to react based on my understanding of what my existence is. Right. If I allow you to do something that solicits a reaction from me, then I have relinquished myself to your will. You've lost control over yourself. You now control me. Right. You know? I knew that now. I, I, that's what I had to change. You know what I mean? I could not allow somebody else's understanding of what their existence was to be reflected on me and have me react as a result of that understanding that the other person has. Let them dictate. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and what? so you said you read some self-help books. Which ones stand out for you? Uh, uh, there's this one book I read. And it was recently a movie, but I didn't see the movie. And I wouldn't, you know, when you read a book and you see a movie, they're different. You Two always, different always read the book. The reason I say read the book is because it's your mind that fills in uh, what is the story. Right. You know what I mean? Right. It, right. If it says a tree, it's your perception of what That's that true. tree looks like. Sure. You know, So you could develop it in any way. I read a book. It's a spiritual book. It's called The Shack. Mm. All right. And the shack talks about a guy who kidnapped, molested, and killed this little girl. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a horrific uh, beginning to this book. And it's, a, it's an act that uh, is just, to some, is just un- absolutely forgivable. You know what I mean? This right. person has no redeemable qualities whatsoever. Mm. Uh, but what was interesting about the book is... God manifests himself in the form of a black, heavy set woman. All right. 
and she's addressing the father's uh, journey through his grief. Okay, and and it's within this setting that uh, I learned a new perspective on life, which was that uh, to understand or to forgive uh, are two different things. It's not necessarily important for me to understand what you've experienced because if I could forgive without understanding of that, then I'm forgiving you just because you're human. Right. You know, there was a passage in the book that says, and I, I, when you guys were talking earlier today uh, about love. Right. He says, um, when you're born, you are filled with all the love you're ever going to need in your life mm. for everybody. Mm. You're going to love everybody the same because love does not diminish or increase. What diminishes and increases is your understanding of that person. So the more you say, I love you more today than yesterday. No, you don't. You love the person equally. You just understand them more today. So what you're saying is, is that Rachel Sterling doesn't understand very many people. Well, I don't know. Maybe her understanding of what love is. <laughs> don't cross him up, dog. He was asking. He, he listened to what we were talking about. I heard he was some of about it. Love. Right. I heard some of it. I can't comment on it because I came in late and I didn't hear that. Of course. You're a gentleman. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a cad. I'm just adding a little levity to what we're talking about. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I understand what you're saying. You're saying that the capacity to love when you're born is it's instilled in all of us right and you're saying like in terms of when you decide or how you show that to other people or what you can feel is really the level to which you understand them right exactly because if you can have somebody that you you say i love this person and you can have somebody that says i hate this person well that's not the truth you hate what this person did their reactions their nature whatever they've done and you like this person more because you like what they've done, their nature and what they've done. Right. You know what I mean? It's not a matter of I love you or hate you more or love you or, le- or love you less. It's a matter of I understand you more and I don't understand you at all. Right. Mm-hmm. So based on, on what, what you're saying and in the book is the shack is it is that author's uh, William Paul Young? Yes. Okay. So because we got listeners always want to know what the books are. Mm-hmm. So okay, so you can get that. So I have to ask this then. So you spent that much time uh, away and you come back and when did you, when did they let you go? Let you go what? Out of the shoe? Out of everything. Cause, cause he's talking about love and there's a, there's a little bit between the shoe and getting out, but I guess I want to get to now you're, you're learning all this and then you come back to Norwalk or the United States, whatever it is. And it's a completely, I got to believe that even now, today, when you look at what's going on outside, uh, and we're talking about love and understanding, I got to believe that you on some level are looking at the current situation and saying to yourself, man, things are really mixed up. Uh, I'm not. You're not? No, I'm not. I'm surprised. Why? You know, because it's like I told you, the actions of somebody else no longer reflect uh, no longer dictate the way I react. Right. Uh, a lot of times, I was in I was in a room. Uh, we were talking about uh, the law. Right. And and somebody says, uh, should uh, uh, what happens to see people that uh, smoke marijuana? 
and this was before marijuana was legalized, okay? Right. And, and, and they asked the people, what do you think should happen? And, and everybody in that room moved to one side saying nothing should happen to this person. And I moved to the other side. So I'm the only person standing in this room on the other side. And they're all looking at me. And I said, hey, marijuana is illegal. If you smoke it, there are ramifications for your actions. Right. You know what I mean? And it's a matter of taking the responsibilities for those actions. Now, other people are doing things. That doesn't mean I oppose what they believe in or accept what they believe in. But I respect the fact that they have something to do, to believe in, a direction in their life. And I do not judge a person because their decisions or their beliefs or their actions conflict with mine. Interesting. So do you, um, so let's go back then. I just wanted to. If they conflict. They might not conflict. They may not. Right. So at the end of your shoe term, right, and you'd spent 20 some odd years, what was the main difference in you from going in? Well, uh, first of all, uh, I was classified as a gang member. I was classified as a gang associate, and then when it was convenient, I was classified as a gang member. <laughs> and then when we did the hunger strikes, uh, and, and, uh, and the hunger strikes were historical. I mean... What year are we talking about? On the, first? With the first hunger strike, I, had, I, was in San, I was in Pelican Bay. I just got back from the shoe in Tehachapi. And it was July of the 1st, uh, 2011. And uh, hunger strike started, and uh, massive all over the state, right? It was it, well. Uh, at this time, no, there was only about six thousand people involved, or counted, do, uh, indicated. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, but I remember it distinctly in that the D- Department of Corrections was trying to break it because on July fourth, they literally rolled in carts into the blocks. And into the pods that had ice cream and chocolate milk and watermelon, hot dogs, (laughs) hamburgers, you know, all this stuff. And they literally said, whoever wants all they want, it's here. God, so, yeah. Yeah. so let me tell you something, bro. Yeah, take us right. Paint the picture. Paint the picture, Steve. When you're in prison, man, you're especially in a shoe environment. You're starving all the time. I mean, you have conversations through your vent. And you may spend hours talking about things you ate yeah. and Food. what you and and so like it's it's you know it's you can't really explain what them flashing all this food and saying all you can eat right you don't have that experience of after that not eating happen. for three days and then tell me this and, and, what, yeah and they're and they're they're not eating so what happens if you if you break tell them what happens if you break and start eating <laughs> well. Uh, I have to admit, a lot of people did. But here's the thing that was unique about the hunger strikes. Uh, the hunger strikes were not mandatory. Okay? A lot, of times, a lot of times these things were mandatory. But we started right. to realize, you know what, this is, we're not, this is not a mandatory thing. You either want to get out and contribute to it or you don't. And if you contribute, contribute in the manner in which you're capable of contributing. Right. This was the ideology of what was taking place. Right. So a lot of people, but the Department of Corrections came and they said, we're going to give you guys 
what you're looking for, what you're asking for. Because what we were asking for was not unnatural. We were looking for uh, the opportunity to educate ourselves so we can gain parole. We were looking for the opportunity to not to be punished as a result of the acts of somebody else. Right. Okay? right. We were looking for the opportunity to be fed. Mm. Decent food. That's it. Because the food you got, you could not literally not lose weight if you did not have a means to purchase items out of the canteen. You would absolutely lose weight because the meals were that bad. Right. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. And we were asking uh, to end confidential information utilizing uh, unsubstantiated or undocumented sources to place somebody in the security housing on an indeterminate term. Example, um, Blue Eyes? Yeah. So they say, Blue Eyes is a gang member, uh, and I I think he's selling drugs. That was enough to put you in solitary confinement indeterminately. That means solitary confinement forever. So are you, you saying you. another inmate could say yeah. that about yes. me? Oh, yeah. I yes. mean, you, 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 you're saying that they, that inmate wouldn't be identified and it wouldn't be oh, substantiated. No, no. Let me tell you there this. No, so you, wouldn't, you wouldn't even necessarily know if an inmate actually had or had said anything. That's, that's the point. Here's, a sick, here's another sick aspect of this. Go ahead. I, he, it's his birthday. It's old Blue Eyes' birthday. Okay. I signed his birthday card. I'm not a gang member. But I, we know each other, so out of respect, I signed his birthday card. That is enough to get me in a terminal shoot program and become classified as a gang member. That's all it takes. Yeah. And that's because Blue Eye was in the hole already. Right. And you communicated with him. And you communicated that's it. with That's him. all it takes, bro. Yeah. So, so this is... So, th- so you have a few things that you guys are fighting for. Right. There's a number of things well, there. So the Department of Corrections said they're going to give us this stuff, and the hunger strike ends. Okay? Mm. And we wait. Oh. And, and we wait, and they don't do it. So, okay, we're going to do another hunger strike. This time we're going to do it July 8th. We're going to start it. Because July 4th, the food 
issue is good. You want to get right. You know what I mean? Holiday. So we're not going to do it again you until up. July 8th. You ain't, right. you ain't dummies. But of course, that following year, that food issue wasn't prevented. You know right. I mean? right. That wasn't happening. So, so, so did they walk into your did they walk into your cell? Were you on a hunger strike and they walked into your cell with a fucking just aroma hamburger? They rolled the cart into the pod. Remember how, how I told you the pods were set up? Yeah. Okay. Each pod door was opened. A couple guards rolled food carts into there. And you can smell this. And you can see it and smell it. And, and you're on a hunger strike. Yeah. How Most, long had it been since three, you... Three days. Three days. Yeah. And tell me, like, internally, like, physically, what's going on with your body when you smell that good oh, food. You know, what do you... Try not eating one day. What do you feel? You know what I mean? You smell. Right. You're driving down the street and you smell burgers. Right, you know right, I mean? right. All right. that shit's heightened. Right. Oh. Yeah. But now, do it. now, this is just the beginning. So the second one, we have 12,000 prisoners participate. Right. And they tell us, okay, we're going to meet your demands. And they give us a handball and a beanie cap. And we're out on the yards like that pong game. You know what I mean? You hit the ball and it just bounces all over the walls because you're single cell. So you can only throw the ball so many times and it bounces all over the wall and you right. say, the hell with that shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's what it was. And they gave us a beanie because in Northern California, on the California-Oregon border, the weather cold is as cold as hell. Yeah. 60 degrees is a warm day. Right. You know so I mean? a beanie and a rubber ball is supposed to fix things. That's what was supposed to fix things. <laughs> you know what I mean? damn. Now, this is how the department works. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. In the meantime, there's people inside the joint the men that are doing these hunger strikes are saying, this is, a not, this is not equating to anything. I'm not doing this no more. The hell with this. You know what right. I mean? They're wearing you out. Right. And but the other men for the third strike, and I have to tell you this, and I'm absolutely uh, proud and, and honored to say this. On the third strike, I was asleep in the morning, and a friend of mine named Bob, uh, we call him Baby Bob, he yelled up to me. It was 5.30 in the morning. And he says, hey, Indu, you have your TV on? And I said, no. Nah. He says, turn it on and look at the bottom line on the news. And I did. And it said right there on the ticker tape, 30,000 California prisoners on hunger strike. Yeah, it got big. Wow. 30,000. And this is That's a spread out through multiple prisons, yeah. right? Mo not only multiple prisons. I literally seen on the news, on the wall, in Israel... Written, somebody wrote on the wall, we support Pelican Bay hunger strike. Right. It was worldwide. A third of the population. Worldwide. Was That's what globalization has done. And, and, and the law representatives here in California, our assembly and senators, finally said, why are these guys in solitary right. confinement for 40 years. Right. What did they do? Who yeah. did they kill? Yeah. Well, they didn't kill no one, but they're gang members. Yeah. Well, what the hell does that got to do with putting somebody in solitary confinement for 40 years? Right. You know what I mean? And that was the beginning. And it was because family members, the females of the men's in jail, the families, their children, their wives, their girlfriends were protesting out on the streets. Walk. There was this, there's this lady named Dolores Canales. Mm -hmm. She organized uh, community-based organizations to develop programs uh, to fight solitary confinement. They called her up into Washington, D.C. I mean, she, did, she was walking around with a bullhorn. Right. You know what I mean? And carrying pictures and family members and little kids with their father's 
picture on it or their uncle's pictures on it. And it took effect. It affected all of the United States. The United States Supreme Court handed down a case saying juveniles cannot be placed in in solitary confinement. Right. The the UN master uh, against uh, uh, torture came out and says, you guys are torturing Californians for having them in solitary confinement for more than 15 days. Dolores pointed out when she was at the market, she was reading a box of eggs and it says, uh, the chickens that lay these eggs have to be in humane conditions. Right. But prisoners, California mm. human beings, did not have to be subjected to that same humane condition. Right. You know what I mean? Right now, she's up in Chickawalla. And I was going to go there. Women's prison. Women's prison. Mm-hmm. And they're protesting in 101 heat because they're subjecting the women to COVID. And, and they're locked down, and they have no air conditioning systems. They I, have swamp coolers. I read that not only that, but um, in, in other states, like in Tulsa, I think it was, that the guards or the warden was not allowing any of the prisoners uh, to wear masks or to take any COVID protections, and that they were being exposed to COVID. And just recently, this morning, there's uh, the prisoners in California, all that fire and smoke— is is dangerously close to them and they're, they're getting all kinds of inhalation problems and they're not doing anything about it. Yeah. You hear, there's a lot of things people don't hear about the prison system. Like the prison system in Central California, it is bad for old people. It has a, a, a airborne uh, disease that uh, enters into the breathing system right. and will kill you. Right. So California says, okay, if you're old, you don't have to go in there. And it affects predominantly people of color. You right. I mean, but there's a lot of different things. I mean, prison is not a good place. I mean, that's what we're here talking right. about, right? right? I mean, it's a situation that is difficult at, at the very least to survive. Uh, the problem is when you're in prison, you have to not only survive, but you, at some point in time, you have to convince them that you've conformed and you conformed to what they believe is what is needed to survive and thrive in a community without uh, being opposed to the norms of that community. So take us through then at that point in time after these, uh, after the protests and everything else. So at some point in time, how do you then convince them you've conformed and you get out? The secu- the, when we were in the security housing unit, the hunger strikes, the, the, the law people, the assembly and Senate finally had hearings and they, Exposed, they were exposed. The Department of Corrections was exposed to the horatious uh, nature of their confinements, right? And they said, No, close it down, get those men out of the shoe. You cannot have them in the shoe. There's people in there that have been in there more than 40 years, right? You know, and so they said, They came up to our cells one day and they said, We're closing the hole. All what did you that guys, feel like? What did that feel like when they told oh, you? Wait, wait, hold on. Back up a minute. Back up a minute. Back up a minute. What number strike was this on? That was the third hunger strike. The third hunger strike. And how long did this hunger strike last before they showed up to come to the table? So let me put it in perspective. Uh, are you guys familiar with the name Bobby Sands? I am. No. Ireland. So Bobby Sands was uh, uh, from Ireland. And he was protesting uh, the fact that England was in, 
was it, on their territory or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it was the Protestants and the Catholics. It was, right. It was the British were in their, in their right. homeland. Right. So there was 10 of them uh, that went on a hunger strike. And within 44 days, I think they all died. Yeah, he died. He was the first one, I think, to yeah. die. So uh, what happened in Pelican Bay is they got together. And, and over a couple years it took. And they read these books. And, and the guys in there decided, you know what? We're fighting these guys with with animosity in our hearts. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And we're bumping walls. And they build walls thicker and more isolated, and we can't even yell no more. You right. know what I mean? We have to find another way. So a consensus was, de- uh, was established, and they said, you know what? Bobby Sands and these guys went on hunger strike. Right. Uh, you know what? We're going di- to we're going to die in here. We all knew that. We knew there was three ways out. Like the, like Ryan said, debrief, die or parole. You can't parole when you're in the shoe cuz you're a lifer. Okay? And you're not going to debrief. Or at least you hope you're not going to debrief. That's your hope. You're not going right. to debrief. So the only option was to die. And the understanding was, hey, if we're going to die, at least let's die fighting. Right. You know I mean? For but we can't, we can't fight normally. We can't fight hand and fist because there's only eight of us that live in a pod and they could sit up there and shoot us all day. Right. So we have to fight in another way. And that way was a hunger strike. Right. And, and we decided to go on a hunger strike, the third one. Men were on that hunger strike First week, second week, third week, a month, 59 days. People did not, I saw people go into a place where they were 230 pounds, and when I seen them again, they were unrecognizable. Right. You know what I mean? They were sucked up skin and bone. Right. I mean, people were falling out. And when we, people were taken to the hospital. Because they could no longer stand and they just drop on their floor. Mm. They were taken down to the hospital and the hospital personnel with the guards told them, we'll revive you. We'll give you uh, intravenous intravenous liquids to bring your body back to life if you sign this paper and say you won't continue the hunger strike. Mm. And they said, no, I'll die. So what the next step of the department was, was... Let's go to court. Let's get a court order from the federal judge so we could stick plastic tubes down right. these guys' throats right. and force food into their bellies. Right. You know what I mean? And when that didn't happen, and when it was about to start, they got everybody that was still on the hunger strike. We're talking almost 60 days later, and they loaded them onto buses, and they shipped them from Pelican Bay. They drove six hours with, this, with these men on buses down to Folsom State Prison and put them in cells by themselves. And they said they're no longer in Pelican Bay. They could stop the hunger strike now. That was what, and then finally the law people got together with the support of the people on the streets, family members, girlfriends and wives, mm-hmm. and, and they got the, the senators and the assembly people to hold hearings, and they pulled the cover. They pulled the shroud of secrecy mm. off of the Department of Corrections and exposed the brutality of those that were were sent to prison as a result of their crime, but they weren't sent to prison to be tortured uh, because of that crime. Right, cruel and unusual right. punishment. Right. Right. This and is where that big, where we have a real problem, we've talked about this in the past, is, and you mind, you brought up like, 
you're sentenced to 10 years. But on top of your sentence, now you're sentenced and subjected to, we're taking this from you. You right. can't get visits. You're gonna, so you're being punished over and over and over and over again. And really, when you were read your punishment and your penalties in the court, it said you're going to serve 10 years in prison. Doesn't say that you're going to serve ten years in prison. You're also not going to get family visits. You're also not going to get the phone. You're also not going to, get the, and and it's like, depending on where you're at or what prison guard doesn't like you or what is, you're going to be repunished and repunished and repunished. And that wasn't part of what you're in prison. That's for. not what the sentencing law says. That's not what the sentencing That's law says. And laws. you know, I was just looking up after you brought up Bobby Sands. I researched it and. Bobby Sands, Irish, right? He was fi- he was part of the IRA. Okay. He d- he died in prison after sixty six days yeah. on the hunger strike, and you guys were in like day sixty or whatever it was. Yeah. So you guys were close to that. So the hunger strike does what it needs to do. All right, and you guys are victorious for some, for some, for most. I, 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 I to be honest, for most. Right, right. And then what happens for well, you personally? Well, I was let out of the security housing unit. I was transferred. Uh, they, it was it was wonderful. I mean, they came up to my cell and they told me, "Hey, we're gonna let you out the hole." And this is, you know, after decades of being in there. And of course, I was I was a poet, so I sat down and I wrote a poem about it. You know what I mean? Right. And, and what was uh, the poem? What What was the nature of the poem? Uh, I called it "Dare to Illuminate," and and uh, right. what it was is I I talked about how they beat me. And how they uh, tried to twist my mind and how I suffered hallucinations and I was subject to physical and mental uh, abuse, uh, uh, torture. Yeah. Uh, But then towards the end of the poem, I said, but I'm alive. Right. And and you know what? I'm getting out. And now when I get out, I'm going to regenerate and I'm going to build my strength. And I'm going to move forward. You know what's fascinating about what you're saying is, is that the first poem you wrote was about defiance and being victorious and continuing all the way. And you got to a place where you're like, this type of defiance that I'm expressing here or this hate or whatever you want to call it has gotten me to this shoe program, right? So now I need to figure out something else because... I'm really just fighting myself and I'm doing this to myself. So then you do, right? You start the self-help and the shack and the blah, blah, blah. And at some point, you're still in defiance, right? But now you're in defiance with a different strategy for a different purpose. That's survival. You Mm. write another poem at the end of that and here you are victorious again. So in some ways... With a different purpose. Yeah. Uh So in some ways, like I'm listening to this, and and in some ways, you are in some ways still being defiant, right? But you've changed the style or the purpose in such a way that it's actually working for you now. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. That's true. When I got out, uh, my classification was changed too. I got out. They let me out of the hole. It took seven days to go from Pelican Bay down to Ironwood State Prison, a level three in Blythe, California. Was that like culture shock for you? Oh, absolutely. But here's the thing. Uh, When they let me out the hole, uh, they kept me away from everybody. They kept me in the cage. They kept me single cell. You know, and they said, well, you're still a shoe prisoner until you classified where you're going. But I remember uh, December uh, 
25th. That's Christmas, right? Mm. Yes, it is. December 25th. They have me in a block on my travel from Pelican Bay to, to uh, Ironwood. They stop at uh, Tehachapi Prison. And I'm in a single cell. I have nothing. They took everything from me. I'm in a block where they emptied it out. And I remember freezing, freezing cold. And I wake up in the morning and I look out a window because they'll have a window in Tehachapi and it's snowing and it's Christmas morning mm. and I caught myself standing there looking at the these big snowflakes falling down and I started singing that Ben Cosby song yeah. uh, It's a White Christmas right <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> right mm. you know what I mean and I knew I was out of the shoe I was out of solitary confinement and I was going to a place where I was not going to be subjected to that mental torture anymore you know right mm. now that's, what? Am, that's amazing so you were able to take total pleasure on christmas morning yeah. in a very simple yet beautiful uh thing which was you know snow coming down and you started singing <laughs> and there he is everybody i'm gonna take you now to where were you at uh to Hatchapi. I was singing that. I sounded just like him, too. <laughs> There's Gentleman Jack. Uh, he's a little bit thinner because he hasn't been eating a lot lately. Look at his toes. Yeah, but he's he's singing and smiling. The guards don't know what the fuck he's so happy about. <laughs> there you go. But he sure does. And I'm standing in the cell with no clothes on but some shorts. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me ask you Shivering. This. <laughs> so this is 20-some-odd years later. Yeah. You're now... And and they're they're pulling people out of the shoe that have been there a long time, and they're spreading them out to different types of of, of prisons. At this point in time, are, is your sentencing a life sentence without parole? Is there a date? Do you have a date at this point in time? Do you no, not have a date? I had been to the parole board twelve times. No, at that point, I had been to the parole board eleven times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I never expected a parole date, so I would go in front of the parole board and just clown them, you know, because <laughs> why? You know, it was something to get out the cell. Right. right. You know what I mean, I'd get out the cell and go clown the parole board and How do you go clown, back. How do you clown a parole board? Uh, like, I'd what do you- show up drunk. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Shit like that. But that's the way I was. I, I I spit in the face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they tell me about debriefing, and I'll tell them, what is that about? Like, I didn't know, and they explain it all to me, and I'll tell them, oh, no, that's all right. <laughs> you do whatever oh, you can. Tell me more. What exactly <laughs> no, what, that work? Yeah, debrief, what do you mean? They but, spend an hour explaining it to you. I but, see. you know, that's the things you do. You know what I mean? Right. It's different. But I, I, got to the, I got to the, and the last parole board I had went to, they denied me 10 years. So, you know, I didn't have, Marching to me, off. it was 10 years. 10 years could have been 50 years. It could have been one year. Still wasn't going to make a difference. But when I got to Salon, uh, I mean, to uh, Ironwood, which was in Blythe, uh, a guy tells me, uh, why don't you file for an advanced hearing? And I said, I'm never going to get out, you know. But this, we're in the general prison population. Do you really believe in your heart of hearts? Are you, are you, do you really believe in your heart of hearts? Are you con- convinced that you're not getting out oh yeah i was i was through I, I was no reason 10 years was nothing to me that's you know how they I mean? can, that's what they convinced you to have a license that's, back then yeah mm-hmm. that, yeah. that's the game you know okay. but this guy convinced me he says put in a uh 1045 a petition to get an advanced hearing and i and he says how long have you been waiting and seven years had already passed 
Okay. And I said, about seven years. And he goes, I'll help you do it. This guy's name is Tavo. He just got out of prison okay, after right. you know, a life sentence. Uh, and, and I put it in, and they granted it. You know, you wasted all that time. Yeah, they granted it, <laughs> and and uh, they. Uh, I, at that point, I said, "Well, I have to now prepare for the parole board." <laughs> but I'm in a general is prison it, population are you now. Is it? But even though it's granted, and that's happening, are you? Ha, have you gotten a glimpse of possibly going home at that point in time? No, or not? Okay. no. At that point in time, all I'm waiting for is to be picked up off the yard, sent back to the. Sh- to the administrative segregation, mm-hmm. reclassified and sent back to the shoe. Okay. I mean, because that's that's my life. Right, you know that's I mean? been your experience. Right, right. Uh, but they granted it, and these guys that were in this prison, you know, that did not have um, the the hope of freedom uh, stripped from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, instilled in me the possibility of probably getting hmm. uh, an, a shot at it. You know what okay. I mean? Okay. And they helped me put the paper to work, paperwork together, and I went through the process. I seen the psych, and the psych gave me a low classification. Oh. You know what I mean? And at that point, I said, damn, it's possible. Well, so we might get out. Because once the psych gives you a recommendation of low, then that's the first step to freedom. Okay. And then when I went to the parole board, you sit down and you immediately know. The way they talk to you, you know if you're going to get a parole date. And as soon as they opened their mouth, I said, oh, shit. Of course, in my mind, I didn't say it out loud no more right, because right. this was not a time to clown them. <laughs> right. right. Now, <laughs> now, now it was serious. It was serious. Sober as hell. Yeah, and, it and was like, aye, aye. And you learn to make those distinctions quite quickly when you're mm-hmm. living in an environment like prison. Prison tones, voices, eyes, the way they walk, the, no, the tone of the yard, all that. So how do they sound when you know you're not getting it? <laughs> uh, they sound defiant. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm. Why should we give you a parole date? Uh, have you debriefed? Why haven't you debriefed? And when they yeah. are going to let you out, how do they, they say? They don't that? ask that debriefing question. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? right. They say, we've seen that you've been doing a lot this time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And, and the tones change. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I knew at that moment, I knew instantly. Uh, and plus the attorney that I had was full of shit. He was no good. Yeah. <laughs> And they never <laughs> are. State appointed. Right. Right. Hey, appointed. watch what you yeah. say about attorney. <laughs> well, this guy, he literally, the review, the, the investigation he did, and I know that you mentioned your attorney. I yeah, remember yeah. now. Yeah, no, <laughs> there. The, the attorney that they appoint, they don't do no work. I mean, they literally right. have one page right. of stuff written down, and the stuff that's <clears throat> written down was literally supplied to them by the district attorney that's sitting on board in opposition to your parole. Right. So how can you know you say this guy's or this person is in my corner when the only information he's privy to right. in order to present was the information provided by the opposition. All right. On the same team. <laughs> right. But this is not the case. And, and I sat in there and everything was going great and then they called a a, a recess because it was lunchtime. And I left and of course the thought was okay when I go back in uh, after recess their stomach's going to be full and the tone is going to be different but when I went back in it wasn't different and they said you know we find you suitable can, can I ask you a, sec- a question Jack mm. it's, it's mm. important to what you're talking about when I got my when I was finally found suitable 
and the same thing he did the same thing to me. I had to ask him to repeat it. I really did because I, I, I wasn't expecting to hear that. But tell me, was the 120 days you waited the worst time you ever did? Um, well, first tell of all, tell them what that's about. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, Before, we need to back up. Hold a on, bit. yeah, hold on, hold on. That's a good question, Brian, but yes. hold on. When they said, we find you suitable, how did you feel? Uh, well, I, I, I felt every emotion an individual can feel, yeah. but um, I knew. Uh, because of past experience, uh, not to express any emotions. Mm -hmm. So I was stolic in that environment. Right. And when the words were spoken, I, I was in, I was, I had a handkerchief balled up in my hand and I just squeezed it Man. without moving giving anything. Up, without right. giving up any, yeah. yeah right. And just sat there and just, you know, Put all my energy into that handkerchief. You know right. what I mean? Just to keep it together. Just to keep it together. I mean, you're, you're talking about 40 years. Right. And they just granted me parole because uh, they decided, eh, we're going to give this guy a parole. Right. You know what I mean? And parole is a subjective uh, environment in the first place. They, they say it's based on uh, information that has been accumulated over time, but it is a subjective uh, interpretation by the parole board members, whether they're feeling good that day or not good. And in fact, statistics have shown during the Christmas period, <sighs> more parole dates are given as opposed to the new year when it starts and they realize we can't give that many parole dates because they're going to fire us. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's not a, it's, 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 it's not objective. It's not no. neutral. It's all it, subjective. All you know mood, mean? what the setup is, how it's Absolutely. framed. Absolutely. All that shit. But I was lucky to get him on that mood. Hell yeah, 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 dude. He was and, dreaming of a white Christmas. And, yep. and there was, I have to admit this, and, and I can't tell you Good. tell you the names of stuff, but uh, I, I believe, I truly believe uh, there, was, um, there was a person uh, on the streets, uh, influential person, uh, a very kind person uh, that had uh, assisted me. Right. Uh, behind the screens right and and i, I think that person uh, is responsible for me being free today right you know what i mean oh. uh and, but i it's like he said that i got i got up and i walked out you know and i walked back to the yard at what point did you allow yourself to finally let go of the control and express well i i never let go of the control i was in prison Right, mm -hmm. but I mean, did you start crying when you finally made it back to the yard? Did you? No, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. You, yeah, you can't show uh, emotion like you, that. Yeah, you know, I, you, know, you see them and you tell me, and they see the smile. They know. They know when you smile at them, and you just, right. you know, and they right, know. Right. And the word circulated throughout the prison. Jack just got a parole date. Man, you know what I mean, now, this guy just got a parole date, and everybody knew. And they all started coming up to me and asking me, "What did you do? How did you do it? You know what I mean? All that." And did you find yourself feeling a little bit, how do I say this? It's like something great just happened. You're not entirely sure how it happened, right? You weren't right. expecting oh, it. Oh, no. And then everyone's coming up and want to talk about it. I know me personally, when something like that happens, I've never had that. But when something good happens that could still be taken away, I don't like to put too much heat on You're it. Guarded. You're right. guarded. Right. So was sure. it like that for you? Absolutely. You're like, hey, man. Uh, but I was in a prison where... Um, some of the prisoners were still responsible for things that were taking place in there. Right. So uh, the entire time I was on the main line, I was single cell. 
and they never gave me uh, uh, another person in my cell. Right. I, I knew the guy that made uh, cell assignments, and he told me, you know what, I know who you are. Uh, I know where you're coming from. Do you want a celly or do you want to be single cell? And I said, you know what, I, I want to be single cell. Right. He says, don't worry about it. I'll never put nobody in your cell. Right. So the entire time I was in general prison population, I was single cell. Right. You know what I mean, so I was able to go into my cell and express my feelings to mm. myself alone. Well, that's what you I mean. mean? What, so but what did you do? Did I, you, did you? I was still reserved. You know what I mean? But there was a point in time, and, 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 and I think everybody uh, experienced this once they get a parole date. There was a point in time I was sitting in the cell and I was listening to uh, some CDs. And there was this song, uh, I think it was by Sam Cooke. And it says, a time is going to come, or a change is going to come. change is going to come. A change is going to come. And I'm sitting on, my, uh, on, on the shitter. I'm not using the restroom. It's just a seat. You know what I mean? How we use it. And I'm washing clothes, and this song comes on, and it's, a change is going to come. And I realize a change <laughs> came. You know what I mean? All this time in prison, and that song started playing, and I, that's at the moment I realized, man, I'm getting out. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was gonna get that, out the joint, song? man. Yeah. Look at you, you're getting a little misty wow. eye. Oh yeah, just I mean, this. it's it's a you know, it's oh, a memory. God. It's no. a memory, man. You don't forget uh, the time you realize freedom's gonna come. Yeah, but let me say this now: that that's still it's still not there yet. Right. Still, uh, we're, we're getting to that we're question. Getting, okay. Yeah. Let us let us let us enjoy yeah. the shit. Well, you're and never freedom coming on the show again, gentlemen. Jack, <laughs> gentlemen. Yeah. Jack is now realizing yeah. he's about to get his freedom. Yeah, that song and that came was it. And I was sitting in the cell by myself, man. And and did you have a chance to call anybody back home to say, "Hey, I got a parole date." I, I didn't use the phones in there. Um, you have to remember, I I had just spent. You know, almost four decades in solitary confinement under the scrutiny of the gang uh, classification unit. Right. And 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 I know how dirty they are. You know what I mean? And and I never wanted to get on a phone and talk to somebody out on the streets. I never wanted to. Uh, in all the time I was right there on that line, I, I never. Uh, I was guarded about how I carried myself. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, there was. You know. Of course, I had. Uh, the luxuries being offered to me, right? Uh, but I never accepted any of them. Right? You know what I mean, and, and I lived a straight life uh, in that environment as much as I could, and, and I never confided in other people about anything that I wanted to do or that I might have done or the way I would act. You know what I mean? So when at what point does does anyone in your family? I mean, you say you're living with your mom now because she needs help. So she must have been waiting for you to come home for decades. She, when I got arrested, she was living in Norwalk. And I told my mom many times over the decades, I said, how come you don't move, ma? And she says, when you get out, we'll move if you want to move. Oh, man. And in that time, all my family has, uh, well, not all, you know, I have two older sisters. My sisters are still alive, but my uncles, the ones that I was telling you were all in the military. Yeah. They all died. Yeah. Uh, their wives, they have all died. Mm. All my mother's brothers and sisters, they're all dead. Uh, my grandparents, they passed away. My dad, he died. Everybody in my family, you know, it, it's we're talking 40 years. Yeah. They've passed away. Mm. But I still have two sisters and my mother. So mm. do you, 
before we get to Brian's good question, do do you write home then, or do you? I write. Them, I write. write. I, the standard snail mail. Right. You know and mean? so within a week of so, how long does it take for your mom and sisters to find out that it, there's a good chance you're coming home? I, I write them uh, probably within the week of mm-hmm. getting a parole date, and I tell them say nothing, do nothing, just here's what's happening and this is the process now i have to wait 120 days for the parole board's time to elapse to make a determination and then i gotta wait an additional 30 days for the governor's time uh, to elapse so they make a determination what that means is so the parole board does not is not held responsible later on as a result of somebody getting paroled and released and committing a crime like this guy did. Uh, right. You know what I mean? Uh, what they do is they don't make a decision. Instead, they allow that time to make the decision elapse. And once that time elapse, then they're not in the position to make a decision no more. And the de- decision that was made by the parole board becomes effective. Okay. Right. The same thing with the governor. If the governor does not make a decision within 30 days, the time elapsed, that means the parole board's decision is, is law. Right. So if, if I was to ever get out and do something horrific that somebody could then say, look at this, people did that, they could say, no, I didn't. Right. I never signed anything granting this guy parole. The time just lapsed. The time's right. just lapsed. And the only people that are responsible for paroling this person is the parole board. So now... I wait 150 days. So first you wait 120. Right. And for Brian wants to know, how hard was that 120 days? Oh, you're walking on eggshells. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're still living in prison. Right. And that means... Uh, everything that's taking place in prison is still taking place around you. Right. You know? and, and all the activity of young people that have not developed like I have over those right. years right. are still coming in that prison. You right. Know what I mean? Right. And so, I mean. You just got to look straight ahead and not get involved. You got to look straight ahead and not allow anybody to know that you're involved. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Not sure to put it. Yeah. And, and then you wait another thirty days. Okay, and so I waited. A, I waited uh, one hundred and forty-eight days. So when the one twenty lapses, right? Do they take you to another place for the no. governor? You're still there. You're just sitting. You're sitting right there. It automatically kicks in once the hundred and twenty days elapse. The thirty days kick in, and you're waiting thirty more days. And then while you're waiting those thirty days, is that even harder than the one twenty? Uh, no, because you, you're not changing your routine. Right. You know what I mean? You're right. still walking. But when that 130 days comes, it's a little bit more, uh, uh, it's a little bit more stressful because the governor then has to review and the governor is basing that review, uh, in relation to political aspirations. Right. He doesn't want to be blamed for anything because he wants to get reelected. Right. And who was the governor at that time? Do you remember? Uh, yeah. At that time it was, um. Arnold? No. When did you get out? Brown? Uh, three years ago. So it would have been Brown. 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 Jerry Brown. Jerry Brown. That's a good one to have because he's a yeah. Democrat yeah. and he's a liberal. Especially since I walked through, who was it, Davis. Right. I walked through Vandy Camp. <laughs> I went through <laughs> Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger. You know what I mean? All yeah. All of them guys that said, oh, no, they're never getting out of jail. So when the governor 
uh, when it's when you finally make it past that hurdle, do they send like an envelope to yourself? Someone come and get you? Yeah, no, they they tell you in in two days you're gonna you're gonna walk. Yeah. Exactly. What does that feel like? Oh man, you know, shit. Man. By that time, you're sitting in an empty cell because you've given everything away anyhow. I had to hold on to my stuff because people were after it. I held yeah. to the last minute. Right. Yeah, it was 121 days. They took no action. And I went home two days later. Yeah, I, I, I started giving everything. You know, giving everything on. Take it, man. You know, mm-hmm. take it away. And you know, so, on but that- with, on the condition that if I don't parole, I get it back. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> And then when they walk you out, right, what's that walk feel like? Oh, man. You know, I mean, I got a picture of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my sister was out front oh. uh, waiting for me to come wow. out, man. Wow. And, and she took a picture of it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I got I it right here. So you'll see me what I, what I look like when I walked out of prison. Yeah, let's see this. Because right now I'm looking at a very... You know, classy, suntanned man. Looks like he's been enjoying yeah. the better life in Norwalk. Seasoned silver fox. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Came in with a Dressed fedora. Nice, yeah. Right, nice shoes. Uh, uh, this, yeah, it's a little different. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I, I like to tell every people, since I've been out, there's me in San Quentin when I was in the home in San All Quentin. Right. Oh, wow. Gentleman Jack's handing around phones. <laughs> now, now, nowadays, wow. though, I, I like to let people know... Uh, since I've been out, uh, I've yeah, I've swam in, in the Atlantic Ocean, in the Pacific Ocean, and in the middle of the ocean when I went to Hawaii. Yeah. Wow! <laughs> wow, really, man! You're looking kind of buff on this one. Well, that's when they they used to let us have weights in the hole, right? Yeah. And you got like mutton chops. Scroll it up; you could probably see the other one. Uh, I'm in. Uh, Let me see. Those are all pictures taken since I've been out. You know. Yeah. Trying to figure out which way to scroll this mm-hmm. thing. Uh, okay. And then I see, uh, 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 well, I don't know. Oh, Blue Eyes, can you figure out? I want to see the one where he walks right out. When you walk out, okay, so you're walking. How does it really no, go? They, they take you to R&R. And uh, in R&R, which is uh, uh, receiving and release. That's what it's called, R&R. Right. Um, you, they put you in the holding tank. Everybody knows you're paroling. Uh, what they do is they provide you with uh, some documents that say you're getting out. Okay? Right. They look through the property that you have uh, and to make sure that you're not taking anything. If you're paroling and stay closed, they're going to charge you for your stay closed. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. And then they give you a $200 uh, card. Right. Before it used to be 200 cash. Now they give you a, a debit card. You know what I mean? Right. And... Uh, they gave me a debit card for $200, and, and they loaded me into a van, and, and they drove me to the out, uh, out of the prison gates, parked, opened the, da- the door to the van, and told me, all right, get out. Yeah, they just want you off property. Yeah. Well, hold on a second. So, so you get in this van, you drive out the gates, and when you're driving out the gates, I mean, is weight being lifted off your shoulders as you get further and further away? No, the weight's already lifted off your so- shoulders. When you're in R&R and you're getting all your shit, as soon as they load you in that van and they're driving to that gate, you know that's it. That's, it's and, over. Yeah, then they, they open the van and you step out and your sister's That's there. the first time. Is that going, you getting out? Because yeah, they can't take it away from you uh, at that point. Uh, no, that was at my birthday party. Let me sh- let me see. Man, guy's got so many good photos. Man, we can't figure wow. out which one it is. <laughs> That's a birthday party they had for me when I got out. Uh, uh, 
Oh, this is the poem I, I wrote. Remember I was telling you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Want to hear it? Yeah. yeah. All right, this Worse. is the one they told. As soon as they told me, they're letting me out the hole. Mm-hmm. They say, they come up to my door and say, we're letting you out the hole. I sat yeah. down and I wrote this poem. Go ahead. And I called it Illuminated Future, 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 Future. You insidious serpent suckling on human morrow of existence, insatiable in quest to sustain your capitalistic advancement despite inevitable destruction. You attempted to obliviate me while bending my recollection of reality into distorted hallucinations of madness. Those have expired. I am injured, beaten beyond physical characterization, annihilated both in mind and body. But I am not dead. You have failed to kill me. Daily I regenerate like the sun, illuminating my future, in 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 my future. Oh, yes, it will. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's the one I wrote, man, when they told me. I'm seeing a... I'm seeing a I'm seeing a old blue eye special on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who's he gonna put his little? Mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking like even uh, so. So you step out of the van, right? And so is that the first time? Like, did it? What was it like stepping out of the van and knowing that's it? Well, you it? know, you step out and you're not on prison grounds. <sighs> I knew I was stepping out onto free, free. ground. And that was, you know, I mean, how do you... Well, you're going to see right now. You're going to see the way I look, man. I got a question that I ask everybody. Right. Are you ready? Yeah. When you when you took your first... Oh, hell yeah. Now, that's the one I was looking for. That's what I wanted to see. Yeah, you guys. All right. Now, that looks like you getting out. <laughs> Weep that out. All right. Uh, let me describe yeah, this. Describe. Holy shit. Yep. Holy shit. First of all, uh, you're stepping out. Obviously, it's the desert. There's palm trees and nothing but just like brown sand or whatever. Well, this is in Blythe. Blythe, Correct? Blythe right? Out okay. Ironwood. It was fucking hot as fuck. And then you come out and there, you could see like a little white van with the doors open. You're walking out and, it, and I mean, you almost look like you're wearing robes, but it, it really looks like the shirt tucked into your, your sweat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, you got your white socks pulled up. You're a little trimmer than you are now. And you got a white mustache, dark hair, sunglasses. Where'd you get the sunglasses? Those state yeah, issue sunglasses? <laughs> you can get them. And then you're sitting there and then you're carrying a bag of sh- What is in that bag? Law, law paper. Oh, all right. So you got all your scholarly activities. And look you at that one, Brian. Look at that smile on his face. Yeah, and you got yeah. a smile on your yeah. face like, yeah. holy yeah. shit, yeah. here I come. That's freedom. Yeah. That's freedom. <laughs> your first shower. Freedom has that. We're going to have that. But your first shower, did you or did you not wash your boxers when you took your first <laughs> <Yeah>. shower? <laughs> right? Uh, my, That's funny. <laughs> my mom used to laugh at me because even even after that, months after that, uh, we'd be eating, and I would wipe my silverware off and sometimes stick it in my back pocket. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know I mean? 
Yeah. So you did wash your boxers. I in the washed shower, my boxers in my socks. And all that. Um, uh, what was the I, first thing you ate when you got out? Uh, my mom's tacos. Yeah. Uh, how yeah. good was that? What was it? it was. It was. You know, that's my favorite meal. Uh, my mom's tacos. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, she knew that that's my favorite meal, and for forty years, I thought about nothing but being able to sit across the table and eat them. And when I got out, my sister drove me home, and uh, a lot of my family was at my mom's house. I walked in, and uh, the table was set. And I sat down and I ate those tacos. Could you man. smell those tacos before you even like sat down? Uh, no, I, I had no idea that uh, family members were there. They were having a dinner for me, none of that. I, I just, you know, uh, I got out and we started driving home. And, and my sister said, pull over right here. And she pulled over into a casino. But I couldn't stay in there. You know, they had lights and sounds and all that shit. And I told them, come on, it's, it's, you know. It was too much. It smells like cigarettes. And, you know, I said, let's go. So we left. And they didn't say nothing about me arriving home and having a house full of family and a meal waiting right there, my favorite meal waiting right there, you know. Yeah. But that's exactly what happened, you know. And it was, it was everything I thought it would be over 40 years of dreaming about it, you know what I mean? I almost forgot. I almost forgot so much time had went by what it would be like. Do you, you know, um, the, one of the very first things that strikes me is, and, you know, Brian... You know, and I'm not trying to bring up sore spots, but I know that Brian's mom lost his mom after, after he got that. a month after I was found suitable. She passed. Right, so he's yeah. almost home, and and I want to think right away. You know, look at we're not we're not youngsters, we're older, and right, and and I know that you've recently gotten out, and I think it's man, a, what a blessing that your mother was alive to watch this go down, and so it was alive to be here. And, and Brian probably experienced this too. I mean, uh, you don't necessarily have to hear anybody tell you you love them. You know what I mean? Uh, you just know uh, that somebody loves you. And, and that uh, gives you uh, the strength and fortitude to move forward when times uh, are difficult. A lot of people utilize religion. It's the same principle. I mean, it's the same strength, the inner strength that you gather, uh, that allows you to push just that much further so it can tell yourself, I can move forward. You know what I mean? So it's a mother's love. I mean, uh, a mother's love, man, she, you know, she don't have to say it uh, verbally. You just, you know, you could be a thousand miles away sure. and, and you can know that there's a person that cares so much for you that you want to get back to that person. And because of that, uh, you'll go over, under, around, or through. Yeah, any I, I, never told, I never told my mom about the, about the 120 day wait. The governor, I didn't want to stress her out. Right. So she, in her mind, I was coming home. And that's what mattered. Yeah, that's it. And, well, and you know that. They, you know that. You feel that. You know what I mean? And, and I'm sorry you had to experience that, man. I, that had to be difficult. <laughs> yeah, it still is. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you, let me ask you, so upon, upon coming home, had you done some, I mean, you, have edu you had educated, what type of, what, what type of educational stuff did you do, say, over the last decade while you were, while you were down? Um, and did you, have you been able to, were there things that you did that are helping you today? Or was there, when did you catch vision of, 
I want to help out and get back on a larger scale. So when, okay. when I was in the hole, when I was in the shoe, um, I lived in a section where uh, I knew a lot of the guys for many of the years. And uh, we uh, realized that we had to educate ourselves because uh, at that time, Pelican Bay stopped allowing us access to education. It was one of the things you guys were striking for. Right. Mm -hmm. So what we did is one of the guys who was financially well off told, told me over the tier, he says, man, I want to learn math. And I said, well, I, I could teach you math, you know, uh, because I had in my solitude uh, taken to educating myself from the very beginning, uh, not only because I, I learned the value of education and knowledge, but because it was a time consumer. And anything right. to consume time right. contributed to my existence. Take my your survival. mind off the time. Right. So I started educating myself uh, with uh, mathematics when I was in Tehachapi in the home in the 90s. In Pelican Bay, I mentioned this to this guy. And he says, you know what? If I buy books for all of us, you want to have a class. And I said, buy the books every day, Monday through Friday from 1 to 2 o'clock. We'll have class. And we did. We studied. We started at the beginning, arithmetic. And then we did a subtraction, multiplication, division. We worked ourselves up. So when I took my uh, math class, when I took my math evaluation for college, they uh, scored me at uh, a calculus. And I did not have to take uh, a math for my AA degree. You know what right. I mean? Uh, and, that, and that was just learning from us over the tier. Figuring out how to do mathematics. All of us ended up learning to do advanced algebra, wow. geometry, and calculus. You know what I mean? Right. And, and then we said, well, now that we know enough math, let's learn a new language. You know what I mean? And we were going to start to learn a new language. But they had heard us educating ourselves, and they broke the section up. That's fucked up. You know what I mean? That's really fucked up. You imagine... <clears throat> You bring together some guys with some, you know, let, let's just say colorful pasts. You put them into some situation on their own initiative, right? Yeah, yeah. They fucking put together a school and you break it up. That school would have enabled you guys to explore and understand even bigger and broader things. And yeah. it just seems to me like a system that's just set it, up to keep you guys there. It is. There's a quote by Maya Angelou, and she says, uh, the more you know, the better you do. And I understand that. I understand that quote now, that the more knowledge you have, the more uh, knowledge you're able to draw on, the better your decisions are going to be. You know what I mean? Right. You're going to be able to make wiser decisions about situations you're about to encounter. Right. Uh, because you have more information to draw from in order to make the decision. Right. Uh, that's what education does. Uh, but when they broke it up, that's what happened. When they were, and they utilized uh, the language we were going to learn, which was Nahuatl, an ancient uh, no shit. Mexican language. Yeah, right. They said, no, nah, this is gang activity. They gave Man. us all 1030 forms, gave us indeterminate, in additional indeterminate shoe for gang activity because we were going to learn a language that the, the guards didn't know. The indigenous language. Yeah, of the indigenous language. Right. right. So let me ask you this. What about sleep? Is there a difference in the sleep once you're 
outside versus inside or did you have difficulty adjusting you learn you change uh, it's like when you go into prison yeah when you go into prison you have to learn how to sleep and how do you, you do have that? to learn how to talk and walk and because you have to adapt and acclimate to the sounds of your environment right if you don't those sounds will always wake you <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> same way on the streets my mom lives by a street that goes by and sirens go by or cars go by or people go by. Yeah. Now, when I got out, I could not uh, sleep at my mom's house. And, and fortunately for me, I did not have to. I was in, I spent a year in a halfway house. Got it. And I wanted to do that because it allowed me to acclimate to freedom more. Right. You know I mean? Reincorporate back. Right. And I was right there on Hollywood Boulevard. I was literally on Vine and Franklin. Are you at Hollywood Reentry? Yeah. That's where he's at. Yeah. That's right where now? he's at now. Yeah. Oh, Sourdough foot. That's spent, where he's at. I spent good. a year there. Oh, that's good. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> and, and at that time, uh, I only had to do six months, but I voluntarily did another six months because uh, you have to understand... I did my time. Right. And, and when I got out, I, I absolutely understood that you cannot catch time. Time passes, and that's all there is. If you try to catch time, then the only way to go is backwards because the time passes. That's, are, you get, are you getting that, Steve? That's are you dope, getting that? That's dope, man. So I, I knew that <laughs> from that <laughs> From that moment, I was going to live forward. Because you know a lot I mean? of guys that in your situation, and not even in your situation, guys that just made you know whatever decisions they made in the past. But I know myself. Uh, there's been times in my life where I thought, "Man, I'm behind everybody else, and I need to catch up." Yeah, you can't do that. Right. You can't do that. Life. We're living life now. When this uh, interview is over. That time is gone. It's yeah. going to be just a memory. It's going to be something that we're going to reflect on, hopefully to to better our future. You know what I mean? But you can't run towards the future. It's not. It, you've heard it a thousand times, ten thousand times. It's not the destination. It's the journey. We all know our destination. We're all going to die. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? That's, right. That's our destination. Right. We all know that. So enjoy whatever it is. That you go through that until you reach that point, good or bad, it's life. And people are, and, and, and I don't like to say that good or bad because that's not what it is. Our interpretation of what is good and bad is, is a subjective interpretation. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Why would we even call it bad? You know what I mean? Why would we call it good? It is our life. Right. You know what I mean? If I read a book where a guy, uh, it's an investment book, and the you got guy blue eyes crying over the here. The guy is talking about life, and he says, "I invested a hundred thousand dollars, and I lost it." And then he says, "Man, my life is over. My life has changed. I've ruined my life." But in reality, all that happened is he lost a hundred thousand dollars. That's right. You know what I mean? That's Anything right. else that happens as a result of that is a is a result of his path. Right on that. Right. His right. reaction to Right. It. His yeah. reaction to that. Right. So the other day I was driving on the freeway. I've been out almost three years now. The other day I was driving on the freeway stuck in traffic. And I rolled down my window and I yelled out the window, thank God I'm part of the working masses. And I rolled my window back up 
and continued to drive slowly. And you the guy I mean? next to you because flipped out. He was I like, who was the hell is that I guy? I was happy to be in that environment. Right. I was happy to experience that part of life. Okay, so you put mm-hmm. your finger on something that's interesting. Do you, what do you think about this? Because you came out of a situation where a lot of shit was taken away from you. As a result, you understand the value of being here now or being in traffic or being a part of things, right? Yet, a lot of people have never gone through that. So there's a lot of people that had this like abundant childhood. They never really been ch- challenged in certain ways. And then they have, they don't even know how to count their blessings and they're pissed off about good shit even. And so do you have a thought on how somebody or what is, what, what is your feeling or idea about how can we make people or how can we encourage people to be more grateful or to truly appreciate what they have? There's, there's a, uh, I, I use a principle in my life. Uh, I don't know where I learned this principle, but I use it now. Uh, it's about uh, trying to convince somebody of something. Right. So if, if I tell somebody the truth, okay, and they don't listen, uh, then it's their loss. And, and if, if I know it's actually factual, if I know it's the truth, I have to know it's the truth. And if I know it is absolutely the truth and I tell it to somebody and they don't accept it, then that's their loss. Right. Okay. There's no need for me to argue with this person about what I know is actually factual. Right. Okay. And if I tell somebody something that I don't know absolutely that it's factual, then I have no business trying to convince this person of it. Right. It relieves me of any confrontation that I may be able to, that I might be engaged in. Because if you tell somebody the truth and they want to argue about it, then you're wasting your time. And if you tell somebody something and you know that what you're telling them, you don't know absolutely, then you're wasting your time. But that it goes against, and I'm not saying this in any way to be disrespectful at all, because I, I find that you found a certain balance. And I agree with what you just said, but I'm going to add to it. There was a point in time where you knew something was the truth, but you had to do collective action to convince the prisons that they can't hold you guys indeterminately in the shoe like that. And you guys went on a hunger strike. So how is that? Where would you put that difference where you're like, listen, I am convincing them. I'm convincing them. They don't want to listen to the truth, but I have to tell them because we got stop this versus... You saying I'm just talking to somebody and they get it or well, they don't get it? No, it's it's the language that you're using. We're not convincing them; we're exposing them. There's a difference between the two: uh, exposing somebody when they're doing wrong and convincing them that they're doing wrong are two different things. Wow, mm-hmm. that's fucking that's, right on. That's what we're doing. So I, I try not to argue with people. Uh, in prison, I lived in an environment. Where you didn't argue. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, I lived a lifestyle where you didn't raise your voice at people. I lived a lifestyle where you didn't tell people, hey, you're wrong. You know what I mean? Because if they were, you dealt with it. You didn't have to tell them you're wrong. You dealt with them. And then when you was done with it, you tell them, that's what you get. Right. You know what I mean? And I lived in an environment where you didn't raise your voice at somebody because if you did, you dealt with it. Right. You know what I mean? 
I live that lifestyle out here not because I have to deal with it, but because I have an option to or not to deal with it. And I choose to walk away from it because the world is too big to have to stand there in front of somebody and have a confrontation with somebody about something that is opposed to what you believe. Otherwise, there wouldn't be no confrontation. And if you're in opposition to what I believe, then I'm wasting time and trying to convince you of my beliefs because those are your beliefs. Right. Let me, um, let me ask you this. Give us a little bit of a, of a, of a kind of bring us up to speed today. Did you, uh, in, over the last three years since you've been out, did you have aspirations that kind of came to you at once? Did you know you wanted to help? Did you know what field? Did you begin going to school? Like, what did, yeah, give us an update today. Um, where are you going? What are you doing? Well, what's it look like for you? When I mentioned that person's name that when I went to the parole board that I think he helped me out, uh, I helped him out when I got out of the shoe. Uh, he came to my cell the very next day, and he asked me, would I help him um, enlighten the, the younger prisoners in the, in the joint that they had just put me in? Mm-hmm. And, and would I tutor them in math and English and show them direction that sure. what they've heard about prison doesn't necessarily have to be the reality of prison? Okay? And I told him, yeah, I'll help. Uh, So he got me into the college program, and I started tutoring youth prisoners. When I say youth prisoners, I mean young prisoners, 21, 22, 23 years old, uh, who believe that when you're coming into prison, the the first thing you have to do is to pick up a knife and get off. You know what I mean? I I wanted to change that mindset. So I started, uh, they all knew me that that was me. They knew me in the prison system that uh, I was a guy that would pick up a knife and get off. Uh, But when I didn't, they looked and they say, why isn't he doing uh, what we've heard he does? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Why is he going to school and trying to help us learn math or, or learn English or telling us that education is the best thing for them? You know what I mean? Uh, when I got out, that man offered me a job. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, I, I, I didn't accept the terms that he offered me because he offered me a full-time job. I just did 40 years. I'm not going to go to work. I want to see what the damn world's about. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. so, we got a little time here to catch <laughs> yeah. up. Right? You know so, what? My, my cousin King Salmon's doing the same thing. Yeah. I told him, I'll work for you for part-time. And, and I was on GR. You know, I was mm-hmm. getting GR and I was getting grow money. And that was $400 a month for me. I was living on 11 cents. $400 was a fortune. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I wasn't looking to buy fancy clothes or jump into a big old automobile. You know, that, that wasn't my idea of entering into society. My idea was learning what society was. You know right. what I mean? Right. So uh, I'd sit down there on Hollywood and Vine at the donut shop and eat donuts and stare at people. Ryan, you hear that? No, because he was that. Uh, no, he no, doesn't. He, he didn't yeah, hear him. Yes, I did. He was what? <laughs> he saw my sitting on the dead way. <laughs> no, See, he, he didn't it. hear that. He, he didn't, didn't hear it. it. What you didn't hear is that he went through Hollywood reentry and he stayed there for a year. 
Okay, well, go ahead. Go ahead. We'll, hear, we'll get back to Brian on that. Go right ahead. <laughs> go ahead, <laughs> please. So, he told me this before. You told me that story, right? We, but we Brian never, this, never doesn't know no, anything. We, no, he knows everything. Be honest. Did we talk about that before? Thank you. I'm not lying to okay. you about it. So go on. <laughs> so, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, he hired me as, as a, a guy at the front desk at, a, at ARC, and I, and I greeted people. You know yeah. what I mean? And I learned the, uh, I, I started to learn the ethics of working again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, of having a, 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 a boss, a, a boss, and someone telling me how to do something and, and what to do, and, and you know, and I learned the uh, the importance of being there and being responsible, and and he employed me for about five months, uh, and I and at that point I was offered a different job. I was offered a job at uh, St. John's uh, Well Child and Family Center, and they wanted to employ me in the uh, reentry department. Uh, for the Office of uh, Diversion and Reentry. And the only qualification I needed was uh, uh, I had to have uh, experience in incarceration. Mm, you got you know a little I mean? bit of that. So <laughs> I told him at that point, I told him, you know, I'm, I'm a subject matter expert on that. Right. Point, you know what sure. I mean? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> I did a lot of research. About, I know did a lot about of research. Incarceration. And I know and I'm learning reentry. Right. Because I'm doing it, I'm learning, right. I'm going through all the steps. What's the big, ch- biggest challenge of reentry that people don't understand? Well, uh, there's different levels. They have to understand. Brian did 23 years, 35, 35 years. I did 40. It's different for us to reenter society than it is for somebody that went and did a year in county jail. You know what I mean? Right. They're they're two. Totally different processes. One size doesn't fit all. One size does not fit all. You could provide the assistance to both, but they have to be provided in different increments. For me, and I'm sure for Brian, the most important thing was identifying, being able to identify who we were. That means getting your documents, your California ID, your Social Security card, your birth certificate, a driver's license, because without those documents, Nobody knows who the hell you are. Right. You could tell them, uh, this is me. No, it's not. Why isn't it? Because you're not in our computer. Right. And after 40 years or, or 30-something years, you're erased from all those computers. You know what I mean? You, they don't know who you are. So that's Yeah, all that's I had process. was my sheet that the parole office gave me for identification. That's right. all I had. So, you know, the first thing is to get in those. So there's a process depending on your time. When they hired me at St. John's, uh, they only hired me because of my time. I, I didn't know a computer. Hell, I didn't enjoy Although they had them, I never touched a cell phone because it would have sent me back to the hole. Right. You know what I mean? I never got on the phones in the block because I didn't want people listening to my conversation mm-hmm. with loved ones. You know what I mean? So I had no access to technology. The first technology I ever had was after the hunger strikes in Pelican Bay, they allowed us to get a CD player. Uh, and that was my first CD player. That was in 2016, uh, 2015. I got my first CD player. Couldn't use CDs because you can make knives out the CDs. Oh. But I had the CD player in my cell, and nice. I could listen to the radio. And that was my exposure to technology. You know what I mean? Technology's the huge one. What are your plans? What can we expect of Jack? Over the next few years, what is uh, oh, what's going on I, with you? I I don't know. I you know, a <laughs> lot. You know, it's a question. A lot of people now that you're out, what are you going to do? Come on, I just did forty years in the system. 
I don't know what I'm going to do. I know I'm going to walk down here to the corner and buy me an ice cream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Beyond that, I don't know what I'm going to do. Best flavor ice cream. Yeah, but I don't, I don't try to... I know what I'd like to accomplish. Mm. You know what I mean? Uh, whether I'll accomplish that, life uh, is fickle. It may not present the opportunity, and I'll decide something else, you know? But like all people, I want to get a, a, you know, my bachelor's and then my master's, you know? Hell yeah. And in what? I want to get in, criminal, in criminology. Uh, right on. Or ju- justice yeah. administration or something like that. I, Listen, if yeah. you need an attorney, right, to uh, give you an internship or I, anything, you know Ovando I, Bowen, LLP, one of the greatest law firms in Southern California, in the world, actually, mm. is available. I'm I, just letting you I know. I did a lot of legal work in jail. Right. You know what I mean? I've, yeah. I've written hundreds of writs. Right. You know what I mean? And, and I've... I've done as many civil actions and tort claims and you know and i, I i'm not into i don't want to mess with the law no more because, yeah uh i broke it long enough and then i worked on it long enough and and i want to do so i want to help those now uh re-entering in the community you sure know I mean? helping people right on and, and i think for that my, my position at st john's allows me to do that the other day we drove up drove up to wasco state prison uh, Dolores and I, we rented a van and we drove up there and picked up 12 guys getting out of the joint. You know what I mean? That's Just because awesome. they needed a ride home. And we drove them down. Let me, how did, how did so one of our listeners, because we'll attach it to the post as well, but how do they find you, man? Somebody listening right now and all, they, they want to try and get some help. Or, all all they mean? have to do is uh, call, call me on a cell phone. Oh, uh, 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 do you have an email? I have an email. You wanna, why don't you tell everybody your email right now? Uh, my work email is jmorris at wellchild.org. That's easy enough. Easy. That's mm-hmm. easy. Uh, um, and you're currently at, at St. John's. St. John's. I, I've been working at St. John's now uh, uh, about two and a half years. Rumor has it there, there's, you wrote a book. I've written a couple books. Yeah. Two. Are those those books out for sale? Where can we find those books? And what's the title of those books? Let's see. I got them right here. We need to um, know. Yeah. Let me. Let me. Let There's me. the titles. Yeah. Let me. All right. So you have the the world of Jack L. Morris. Nice. Right. Nice. Yeah. Um, and the other one is Duration. My story, yeah, by Jack L. Morris. So, did you get that, everybody? Yeah, wake up, <laughs> fucking order this book. Yeah, order the <laughs> world of Jack Morris or Incarceration My Story by Jack L. Morris. Do you guys it. need to look that up? <laughs> do it, do that. it. Um, do it. You know uh, what? Jack Morris, let me just say something. I know Jack L. Morris, listen, Jack, that sounds name, like an author. Fucking classic name, right? Yeah. Jack Morris. Yeah. I fucking love that. Yeah. Is there any way we could start a talent agency and call it Jack Morris? <laughs> it agency? sounds yeah. like an agency, doesn't right? it? Right? An ad Morris agency. agency. <laughs> fucking great. I want to just, I want to just thank you, man. I want to thank you, Jack, for for coming down. Yeah. I, you know, and I want to keep this door open here at the Hard Luck Show for for you, whether it be a platform to help educate, to help yourself. Um, to get people knowing, I just want to thank you, man, for coming down today, man, sharing your story, man, you know, keeping it real with us and 
Danny told me about you guys. Danny, yeah. Danny Marillo. Shout out to Danny Marillo. Shout Danny out to Danny Marillo. Danny Marillo. Both, both of you from the same area. Yeah. Um, That's right. Absolutely, man. <laughs> That's Just right. like Norwalk's in the house. You're right. Bro. Norwalk is deep in the house. Got a lot of love for Norwalk area. Danny's a good dude. Yes, he uh, is. He is. Uh, awesome dude. And he's going to be coming back on. And like I said, I want you to come back on. I want you to know that you always got a place um, and some friends over here, man. Anything at the you Hard want, Luck Show. Yeah, anything you want to promote or any ideas you want to get out in the in the or anybody that you come across that you think their story is an important story for people to hear, like yours. Mm-hmm. They're welcome here. Do you right. have any plugs? Ovando Bowen. And I'm talking about the greatest attorneys and law firm on the planet. Right. Earth. Right. Uh, Botany Farms. I'm just going to go out on a limb and just fucking say it. Botany Farms, you're going to be hearing uh, uh, about their craft cannabis. They're, uh, they're sponsors of the show. Beautiful jars. Unbelievable. And we gave Kitty, uh, Rachel Sterling, a blunt. She's going to come back and tell us how crazy that was. Yeah. That uh, but we got a paid sponsor, Botany Farms, blah, blah, blah. Where are they Shout from? Shout out to Botany Farms. Yeah, where are they from? Minnesota? Minnesota. Oh, I they were from Lancaster. Right okay, go ahead. No. <laughs> they sort of, a lot lately. That's Minnesota. Right. And then uh, Hard Luck T-shirts, right? Hard Luck T-shirts. We got our um, website up. Up. Right. And uh, you want to tell the people how to get there? hardluckshow.com there you go go to hardluckshow.com and uh my wife put that together yes uh, sarah so you have a a section where you're selling uh t-shirts yeah um and we're slowly at go ahead on and hop on and you will see it's also growing we've got different things yeah this is the first uh setup of the of the website first layer right but what's great about it is it's an awesome picture of you right and then there's that picture of me in the like shadows or whatever that is and then you look go down and you see old blue eyes and it's just like a regular nice like no 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 (laughs) no hey now your family can't go on and see that no he but but funny look sean go down the pictures there's steve with his shirt off and all his tattoos out oh no Oh, there's me, black and white, looking mad, and then there's just Sean, nice, ha- nice white Playing guy. Playing Monica. No, he's just like a nice white guy, he's just staring. Yeah. He's like, hi. I didn't it see it. I didn't. I couldn't <laughs> get to it. Okay. No. And then uh, you look. You, you look like you're about to commit a crime. I know. I look yeah, pissed yeah, off. Yeah. Right. My yeah, wife wants like, that yeah. one. Uh, all right. That's okay. Very good. Um, listen, Steve. Uh, shout outs to uh, Vibes. Um, hey Zeus! Hey Zeus! Shout out to Zeus! Hey, uh, shout out to Cookies! Go visit Cookies! Shout out! Uh, keep an eye out! Westlos documentary, Supermax hardware, right? Dropping in about thirty days, right? Um, what else we got? Sean, Sean, Old Blue Eyes Network, Network, uh, City Green Builders. Oh, that's right! City yeah. Green, City Green. Yeah, father-in-law. If you're up in the Northern California, by uh, Bay Area. yeah. <laughs> yes. Why not? Okay. <laughs> Guy can build anything, right? Yeah. Thank Does he know you, anything about solar panels? Yes. Okay. You do, All Brian. Right. Brian, what are you plugging? Are you plugging anything? Okay. Okay. Brian, thank you for coming down, Brian. Kitty Sterling, Again, uh, Rachel Sterling, Sterling app, Rachel Sterling, Rachel Sterling app, uh, fans and only. Chumahan, Chumahan, how about that? Can you give him a solid law firm plug real quick? Please? Yes, listen. Ovando Bowen LLP. Uh, actually, believe it or not, I've had two of our fans uh, hit me up on Instagram to say, call me. I'm not going to talk to these cops unless my lawyer's there. I said, bet. I'm there. Don't worry. First rule of business, shut the fuck up. Second rule of business, call me and let's get it straightened out. Shoot, I'm telling you, if you have any legal troubles, 
Or ain't need any help with legals. Right. Or Indians. If you're stuck on a reservation and Indians don't want to let you out, I can I can maybe intercede for you. Jack again. Amazing, the amazing dude. Just, Thank uh, you. Yeah, and you're you're gonna be coming. We're this is not uh, the first and it's not the last. You have an open door policy Thank over you. here. Absolutely, it. always. Man. When we Thank have that all. round table, we're thinking it. of a round table. Yeah, and we're gonna have him, him and Danny, and a couple other people headed I've, up. And, I, uh, and I really would like a female perspective oh, as to prison. One other thing. Yeah, vote for Prop 17. That's to give the people getting out on parole that are on parole the right to vote. Yeah. yeah, we like that. So yes on Prop 17. Uh, yes on Prop 17. What'd you say, Brian? I, said, I, said, I, I was through uh, Sonia Tross in San Francisco. I helped push a, a lot of. We didn't get enough signatures, but she's pushing that issue as well to like, get uh, a parolee. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I've been out three years. <laughs> I've been paying taxes, and I have no state representation. You can't. That's there was a revolution fought over that. That's yeah, right. There you go. There you go. And listen, uh, upcoming shows. What do we got? Murder Machine Part, Part two. two. We got. Uh, who else is coming? We got. Uh, we have uh, John <laughs> Chase coming on. We also have uh, Anger from Can't Be Stopped Graffiti Crew. We also have uh, Mr. Cartoon coming up. We have DJ Muggs, the what Soul about, Assassin. You up. just got done with a, a shoot on the West Los, uh, Santa Monica, and I didn't. We didn't, haven't even talked anything about what went down, how the shoot went, what was going on. Yeah, is there a story there? Uh, uh, not for today, but in a quick snapshot, we have finally, basically. Com- completed all the filming for right. Oslo's right. and now the film is heading into the post-production stages right now right but uh, Jack and just so you can understand Steve is, a, is a, a guy with multiple talents he does multiple things he's working on clothing media and all this other stuff he's got a documentary now you have been busier my friend I've never seen you this busy and I think we need to have a, like a, a catch-up show on what you're up to. Yeah, let's do that. So that's coming up. <laughs> no, yeah. we are. Like, uh, all right, we gotta get out of it. We've got some some great true crime shows coming up. Norco eighty. There you go. Norco um, eighty. We got some really good stuff coming up down the pipe. So everybody, keep tuned in. Golden State Killer. Golden State Killer. We got a lot of good stuff. Right. Listen, tune in. Stay in touch. And we're gonna say. Hasta la vista, ciao, and adios from the Hard Luck Show. Oh, yes it will. Oh, yes it will.